I feel the need. The need for a podcast exploring the films and career of Tom Cruise. Welcome to Cruise Views. It's very gentle. That's lovely. I really, I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the right energy for Jeremy Maguire as well. Yeah, I was thinking too aggressive. Upsetting for people. You had me at hello and welcome to Cruise Views, a podcast exploring every movie in Tom Cruise's filmography from 1981's Endless Love all the way to 2022's Top Gun Maverick. This week we are of course diving into the classic that is Jerry Maguire. I am one of your hosts Tom Ashford and completing our podcast lineup as always, if not completing me, is Adam Scott Glasspool. Why not completing you? I just, it was too easy. Okay, fine. Yeah, I guess that's true. You did, you, you did manage to keep in, you had me at hello and welcome, which yeah. I don't remember being in the movie. You had me at hello. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that bit. I yeah. don't remember it. You had me at hello and welcome. I don't remember Tom Cruise walking into the divorced women's club and going, hello and welcome, I'd like to speak to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even recall him walking in and going, hello. Do you know? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, what, why do you think she says it? All right. Whatever. 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 Oh, Tom, how are you? I'm all right. That was the wrong moment to take a swig of Coke. Um, I didn't think you were going to be that quick because I also took a swig of my drink. And I didn't have any response for your uh, consternation at you taking a swig of your drink. There you go. I used a big word like consternation, and I'm now explaining that word so that you have time to have more of your drink. Cool. Well, I stopped having my drink, so I've been thirsty oh, this so whole sorry. time. I'm um, so sorry. I'm good, Adam. I am good. How are you? Yeah, good. I'm very excited um, and slightly trepidatious about this episode. Um, this was always going to be a big episode because you've been beefing this, beefing this up, bigging this up uh, for I've like been, I've been beefing and bigging. You yeah. know. It's so bunch, beefy now, this film. <laughs> it's such a beefy film. Like, um, this whole time, literally since like day one, I think it's probably even in the introductory episode, it's like your view of what of what you know Tom Cruise is, like this great right. film with Jerry Maguire. So it, there's a lot been building up to this episode. The twentieth film. Did, did did yes, our twentieth film indeed. Um uh nearly halfway through, which is oh. uh which is maddening. What what an insane thought. Um Yes. Did I was I bigging it up as this is a great film or was I bigging it up as like this is a great Tom Cruise performance? It was the latter. Um, okay. But I think there's quite a bit of buzz around Jerry Maguire generally and I think it all kind of got mixed in for me. Last week we reviewed Mission Impossible um which is uh, you know comes with a, a lot of baggage in terms of how iconic it is and I think the same is can, can be said of Jerry Maguire. Uh Yeah. You know, you may well have heard of you know bits and pieces of this film before having seen it. I'm going to be uh, honest, I, Adam. There yeah. are there are quite a few lines in this film that I did not realise were actually from this film. Unbelievable, isn't it? They kind of transcend the film and land yeah. in pop culture, almost entirely separated from the film. Uh, we'll get into that when we when we get into it. We're going to mix things up a little bit because Tom we should we should preface this entire episode a little differently than we usually do because something interesting has happened here there are a couple of things that are happening here for the first time okay yeah very often we have we've twinned on our scores for a lot of the movies and yeah. broadly have the same feelings usually within about half a star of each other you know 
So we don't often deviate that much, but usually we have the same concerns and the same highlights. The only times we've been a little bit more separated, I can think of, is Legend and The Outsiders, and that's when there's been a director's or a theatrical cut that you haven't seen, and I have, and I've preferred them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Here, however, for the first time, we have landed slightly differently on a movie. Yeah. And we haven't discussed this, but we've seen each other's letterboxed reviews, and I have mentioned this movie a lot because I thought, actually, this exact thing might happen. (laughs) Yeah. So just to only speak on what I already know, by a letterbox, are you happy for me to to say the score this early in the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is my favourite movie that we've covered so far. Sure. And it's it's actually not even close, Tom. Okay. I know we, we haven't even got to the first really like we haven't really got to the first different thing about this episode but the second different thing about this episode is it's the first time that we're covering one of my favorite movies of all time sure uh this this is in my top 100 movies of all time i mean that's a big list to be fair but yeah it's 100 movies long yeah which there's not actually loads of space in there to be honest you know it does it does fill up pretty quickly i have rated it Five stars out of five. You know, it's coded to sort of outstanding or masterpiece or whatever. Tom, you've gone for three out of five, which kind of codes to above average. Yeah. But not not quite good. Um I kind of view anything above two and a half stars as being in the realm of good. So you've rated it as in the realm of good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a very different rating to mine, is what I'm saying. I, I will I will go forwards right now and say that it is on the upper end of a three. Right. Okay. To the so point where I would I wouldn't necessarily say that it was worse than the firm, even though I know I gave the firm three and a half stars. I think there is like a percent or two difference sure. between that. So sure. so the the firm was a low three and a half. This is a high three. Um, the the, the firm, we'll get into a, a movie that you enjoyed for the, for the most part, right? So yeah, I don't think f- we're we're not going to be like you're not going to be panning Jerry Maguire. No, you're, you know, no, you're not going to make a, me cry, Tom. No, no, it is a good film. Name. It is a good film. I well, think, rate it as a good film. Then, well, Tom, did, sorry, no, I? we've started. We're sorry, we've started. We've started already. Bloody hell! <laughs> I just think I enjoyed the firm more whilst I was watching it because of the type yeah. of film it is. Whereas I think Jerry Maguire is probably a better made film, but it didn't resonate with me to such a degree that I expected. And I do think there are some issues, but we'll discuss that later. Oh, there's loads of issues with it. There's loads of issues, and yeah. I will be ignoring all of them. <laughs> um, so, But I just wanted to pop that up at the beginning because a lot of the time we agree, and the vibe of this podcast is that we go through a movie and broadly agree on it. And I wanted yeah. to let people know that we're going to be approaching this film from two different directions, kind of. Tom, you're going to have some issues with bits that I don't have issues with, and I'm going to enjoy bits of the film that you don't. Yeah. Um, that's kind of going to be how it is. Um, th- we're not here to like 
pan movies. I know n- neither of us liked losing it, but you know we're not here to say anybody did a bad job, or they did do a particularly they did bad, do a job bad job on that movie. They yeah, they yeah. did. They did. They did. But you know, it'll be interesting to see the common ground that we find. Uh, I think in 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 things that we don't and do like about the movie. Um, so with that in mind, Jerry Maguire released on the thirteenth of December, nineteen ninety six big Christmas movie, which I think is appropriate. I can see people going to the cinema to see this at Christmas. Yeah, um, feel good film. Although the UK, we didn't get it till March 1997, uh, and a lot of Europe about the same. Right, yeah. so it's directed by Cameron Crowe. Tom, blow my mind and tell me you've seen a Cameron Crowe movie before. Well, you've li- you've well, I have. I've seen Jerry Maguire, mate. <laughs> Straight up. I know that. <laughs> okay, uh, good. Maybe you should throw some others at me. You know, I've given you one. Throw some others my way. Okay, well, he's kind of a weird director. He kind of... he, he like, So he actually makes Jerry Maguire like another two times in the years right. following Jerry Maguire. And he also works with Cruz again. We're going to have another film by Cameron Crowe like, coming up in the next few weeks. Um, he's a music writer by trade. That's what he originally did. He was a music critic. Okay. Which comes into play sort of hugely uh, in a number of ways <laughs> across his career, but also in this movie. And he got into music video directing. And then he made, okay, here we go, the 80s classic, Say Anything. Nah, I haven't seen it. But you probably know the iconic image of John Cusack stood outside someone's house with the boombox above his head yeah, yeah, playing a song. Okay. Right, that's Say sure. Anything. Yeah. And then Singles, which is a, a, a lesser known movie, to be honest. And then he made Jerry Maguire. So this is, look, it's not a secret that this is a big hit. I think we, you know, you yeah. must have known that going in, right? Yeah. So this is his big breakout um, film. And then after this, he makes Almost Famous, right. which is another one of my favourite movies of all time. Is that the one about young teenage groupies? Kind of. It's kind of autobiographical in that it's about a very young music writer who lies about their age to get on tour with a rock band and does interact with um, groupies and learns a lot about life. I think Jerry Maguire, the character, doesn't he learn a lot about life, Tom? He does. He does. He does learn a lot about life. And that's kind of what Cameron Crowe's movies are about. Well, Adam, I've seen Almost Famous. Oh, Tom. I love Almost Famous so much. It, I remember it being a good film. Yeah, an, an, an incredible film. It's probably his most... I don't know if his most famous film. I feel like that doesn't get as much attention as Jerry Maguire. But no. the, the very similar films. They have a similar arc. And then another of his movies, Elizabeth Town. I don't know if you've seen that. I've heard of it. A I film that it. I really enjoy, but I completely understand... Um, why people would think it's terrible. It, it it mostly is kind of terrible. It's just Adam Bate in a way that Jerry Maguire is as right. well. Uh, and in between Almost Famous and Elizabethtown, uh, he directs the other Tom Cruise film that we'll be covering, which is Vanilla Sky. Which I haven't seen. Okay. Yeah. After Elizabethtown, his career ironically follows the theme of that movie because it's so poorly received that he doesn't work for a while. <laughs> Oh. which is the theme of Elizabeth Down, until he makes We Bought a Zoo um, and then Aloha, both not critical successes. Is, but is We the, Bought a Zoo the one with Matt Damon? And... It's the one in which they buy a zoo. 
Oh, right, yeah. yeah. And it's Matt okay. Damon and Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, and they buy a zoo. Yeah. 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 Have seen you seen it. that? I haven't seen that. Not even I. I'm a huge Cameron no. Crowe fan. And even I know that he's just kind of got two great movies and one that I really enjoy. And I can't remember what Vanilla Sky is like. Um, yeah. It's written by Cameron Crowe. There you go. Starring Tom Cruise. Yep. Cuba Gooding Jr. Obviously. Who we've already seen in A Few Good Men. We have, very briefly. In like a small bit part. And then he had a role in Outbreak. And then this is his big breakout performance. He goes on to be in As Good As It Gets, What Dreams May Come, Men of Honour, and then Pearl Harbour in 2001. All right. So so by 2001, he's done The Prestige, he's done The Blockbuster, and then he does Snow Dogs and Boat Mm. Trip, and it's all downhill from there, baby. Like, he just never gets the the, the work again, really. Although he was good in that um, Made in America thing. I know it's not called Made in America. It was the OJ trial thing. Did you watch that? No. He was good in it. Uh, it also stars Renee Zellweger. Yes. Uh, she'd been in Dazed and Confused and Reality Bites and Empire Records. But again, this is her big breakout movie before going on to do Nurse Betty, Me, Myself and Irene, Chicago. And of course, her most famous role, Bridget Jones in Bridget yes. Jones's Diary and its associated sequels. Um, I don't think I've seen her in almost anything. Really? You must have seen yeah. Bridget Jones's Diary. No, I haven't. Not something your mum popped on, like in the early 2000s? Uh, she might must have, be. but yeah, I, must be. Not, not when I was in the room. Or maybe I just quickly left. I think um, Renée Zellweger, I don't often get on with her. I think she's really good in this. Um, but I don't... I think she just fits this movie more than she's good in it. I, I don't know really how to express that thought any further. Um, I, I think that I'm not a huge fan of the sort of films that she's cast in. Right. Does that include Jerry Maguire? It, it includes her existence in Jerry Maguire, yeah. Right, get fucked. That get side fucked. of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not a judgment on her performance, just, just that yeah. side of the movie. I mean, she she is good. She, I think she's good in it. I think she fits this movie. Um, so you, there's a theme there, which is that for Cuba Gooding Jr., Rene Zellweger, and Cameron Crowe, uh, this is their big breakout movie. Yeah. And for Tom Cruise, it's just another day at the office. <laughs> yeah, which is ironic considering how iconic this film is. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, also, Jane Moore and Bonnie Hunt are in it, and we should make particular mention, and I think you'll agree with me here, uh, of, of Jonathan Lipnicki, who plays Ray and is, like, incredible. He's six years old in the movie. Yeah. No, this he does is his do a genuine first good movie. Job. Yeah, he's he's genuinely great. But a lot of that is down to I think some directorial choices and also Tom Cruise himself. And it's just another reason why uh, I, I love this movie. But, but before we get into the movie and our differing opinions on it, let's see if we can find some common ground. I think, and you you might this might not be common ground. I think this is an insanely good Tom Cruise performance. I agree. Okay. I, I I think he's Excellent. very good and he's very charismatic and if and also if yeah. if that is what you go for as quintessential Tom Cruise and Cruiseness, yeah. it's at it's absolute max. Well, here's here's my here's my take on that is that it has everything that he's been working on over the last fifteen years that we've followed him through. Right. It it kind of does charming, 
manic, suave, out of his depth. That creepy schmoozing thing that he does when he's sweet-talking people. The panicky performance he gives when his back is up against the wall. He is really good in emotional scenes here when he's like... There's a few scenes where he's either crying or he's holding back tears. And he also brings in this kind of sweetness to the role that I don't think we've seen before. There's a lot of range in just this role. And it kind of encompasses everything that he has been doing over the last 15 years that we've followed him, with the exception of Mission Impossible. And I think that this year for Tom Cruise presents a fork in the road where he presented two different versions of what he could be, and he ends up being Mission Impossible rather than Jerry Maguire. Mm, I think that is... I think I agree. Uh, I think that's yeah, that is a, an interesting perspective on it because that that essentially means he he deviates away from the Oscar performances for the big bombastic yes blockbuster. He kind of does, although well, <laughs> well we'll get we'll get to that at the end. Yeah. We'll get to that at the end. But um, I think if you look at the nineteen movies that we've covered that come before Jerry Maguire. There is something from each of them in Jerry Maguire. It's like he's playing a greatest hit set of like his of like his performances. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But he he hasn't yet climbed the side of a stadium without support systems yet. Right, exactly. So that's not part of his repertoire. Yeah. Which which is why, you know, it's it's kind of ten out of ten on the cruiseness scale for what we've seen of cruise so far. But once yeah. you take into account him hanging off of helicopters and going to space, it it's diminished slightly when that's taken into context, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I also think Cuba Gooding Jr. is, like, incredible in this movie. I think he's very good. I'll be honest. I didn't... Because I didn't do any real research into the film before watching it. I went in completely unaware of really even what kind of film it was. I didn't know it was even a, a sports-based film um, yeah. until I... I brought it up on Netflix. Um, so I, when watching it, I didn't think his performance was particularly noteworthy. I mean, that's a, again, that sounds harsh. Um, I guess, I, I guess what I mean is that I didn't take note of it whilst I was watching. Right. If that makes sense. Um, was it surprising to you which way around the Oscar wins were? Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> it's not that I th- obviously he was very good in it. He was very yeah. good, but I wasn't watching it going, "Oh my god, this is Daniel Day Lewis." Like it was right, no, but he he's bringing an insane level of energy and likability. Oh, hundred percent, yeah. Like he does a really good job, and it's a really fun character. Um, I was just surprised to see that he got Oscar nominated. I think what it is is that he's very good at being that incredibly energetic, lively like show off character and then in the scenes where he like turns and he becomes serious he brings a real degree of like believability to it and and he kind of grounds the movie in those scenes in what i think is not a very grounded movie you know right yeah the movie is quite heightened it's quite schmaltzy yeah. in places, I think. 
Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not. Uh, yeah, like you say, it's not a grounded film. It's very no. much um, quick, in your face kind of. But he's got he's a, did, Wolf of Wall Street Jr. Is a lot. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I can kind of see that. At yeah, the beginning, yeah. at least, when he's successful. Definitely at the beginning. Yeah, definitely yeah. at the beginning. Especially with the voiceover and everything. Yes. Um, the other thing is that it's 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 uh, a deeply iconic movie. And it's mad that we're doing two deeply iconic movies back to back. Yeah. But, like, so, I mean, the four big ones are Show Me the Money. Yeah. Help Me Help You. Yeah. You Complete Me. Yeah. And you had me at hello. Yeah. I got half now, of them into the intro. <laughs> well done. I mate. was thinking about how I could get the others in, but I couldn't. <laughs> Maybe we should record you just shouting, show me the podcast, and we'll put it in at the beginning. Um, oh, God. So, yeah, I mean, those, like like we said towards the beginning, those, those have infiltrated pop culture in a way that is now entirely disconnected from the movie itself, I think. Like, you had me at hello. Yeah is just something that is just is there now. You complete me is just something that is there. That's not a phrase. Yeah. That's yeah. from Jerry Maguire. Like I genuinely didn't know I mean I before uh the show me the money bit, right, you you told me that that was in this film at some yeah. point on this podcast. Yeah. I didn't know that before that. I knew Wow. I knew the show me the money bit. I had a vague understanding that it was Tom Cruise from memes. Mm. From memes. GIFs. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. but but I hadn't seen it. I don't think, at least not consciously, being like, oh yeah, this is Jerry Maguire, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the others, I genuinely had no idea were in this film. Interesting. So they, they caught me by such like at such surprise because every time it was like, what's that? Oh, she's uh, you know he's he signed you complete me. I was like, oh shit! So that's this. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? And then when she says you have me at hello. It's just, you're just like, oh, what, what the fuck? Yeah, what an yeah. ending for a film for someone who doesn't know that's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, yeah, with yeah. retrospect. It's so it's, it's become iconic. And I'm just like, because at the great. time it would have just been like, oh, that's really nice. But for me, it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm two hours into a film and suddenly I realise that that's, that's this. Right, great. I, I am not going to like sit here and try and convince you to, um, you know, up your rating or like it anymore but i am going to try and uh describe why i feel the way i do about the movie um yeah. and um i don't know i i, I don't know if there's uh, any chance of this I, I and we'll talk about it at the end but i'm wondering if there's anything that i'll say that might make you consider um watching it again i, I don't know um well funny you say that because i was originally going to watch this with my wife because she hasn't seen it and really wants to see it my wife uh and i didn't because it was too late and jenny you can't sure. stay awake with the lights off after you know 8 30 p.m of course uh, <laughs> just drops asleep <laughs> unconscious <just> like it. <laughs> it's ridiculous um so uh i watched it without her uh but i, I might be tempted to watch it again with her at some point at the very least tom it's really watchable. Yes. Like it's not yeah. a difficult movie. Like you can no, just. I was, put I was on never Maguire. bored. I was never yeah, yeah, bored. Yeah. I never thought, oh, this bit's rubbish. There's oh, never a little bit. There's not. There's like, not loads of things that are uncomfortable. Like in nope. it, do you know what I mean? It's it's like a fine Friday night movie as well. I don't think there's um, anyone who couldn't watch this film. Yeah, except absolutely. For, you know, you can ch- children below the age of 
whatever age 15. is appropriate for this film. 15, 15 there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to be safe, <laughs> Although, 15. You know, yeah, with adult supervision, you know. you never Maybe know. a 12, you know. Um, I, I think it is a 15, um, because I remember having the VHS tape when I was when I was very young. Um, so maybe, maybe we'll do that. Maybe, you know, in a few months or towards the end of the podcast run, there'll be Jerry Maguire Redux, because I think it's very easy to look at this film and go, oh, it's a romantic comedy. Oh, it's just a romantic drama. But I think that there's a lot more going on here than would necessarily meet the eye. And I would be interested, if we were going to do it with any movie, to see how all of like themes and stuff affect your second viewing of a film. If we were going to do it with any movie, mm. we should do it with Jerry Maguire. But maybe that's something but, we'll do, and maybe it's something we won't. But imagine, Adam, if we get... Yeah. If we have a whole episode and it's just you going, so having seen it a second time, yeah, do you think less. it's a five star film? And I just go, no. <laughs> I'm not. I don't think you. I don't think you should think it's a five star film. I think. I think you would could keep your uh, rating where it is. But I'm wondering if you would have a deeper uh, appreciation of it, maybe because I don't think it's any secret that I'm going to pull out. Um, things that you've not necessarily even thought about, right? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, I I watch films. Less analytically, I think, than you. Certainly, at least. Well, I watch them like a madman. Yeah, (laughs) like a a raving lunatic. I would prefer. I would, if I could, if I had a memory that could do it, I wouldn't even make notes. I would just watch it and then recall it. Yeah, yeah. And and I I don't do, and I I don't think anyone listening will be surprised. I don't really do a lot of research outside of watching the film. You know, sure, I, sure. I I don't then go. Oh, I'm going to find out some themes about this and you know dig deep into that. Generally speaking, I'll watch a film, and I'll just my opinion is just the impression I got from that viewing. Um, yeah. So there's definitely stuff deeper in this film than what I got on my first viewing. It's just whether or not I think that is going to change my my feelings of it, or if it will just be like, oh, okay, this film is better than I thought it was. But it's still a three-star film. Let's see. Yeah. Um, Cameron Crowe had been writing this movie for ages. So long, in fact, that he originally wanted Tom Hanks to star. But in the process of writing it, Tom Hanks aged out of the role. Uh, That's how long it took him to write Jerry Maguire. Um, Tom Cruise had met Cameron Crowe through Sean Penn, because they were friends from Taps, obviously. Uh, And then Sean Penn worked on Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which Cameron Crowe wrote... And Cruz and Crow, Crow and Cruz, Crows maybe, they had wanted to work together for a while. This film is the result of that. We open with credits and already Cameron Crowe's position as a music critic is kind of on display. The first thing we hear in the movie is Roger Daltrey saying, Magic Bus. Did you did you catch that? No, I didn't really. I didn't notice. I was probably too distracted by the uh, the 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 voiceover um, jumping straight <laughs> in from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, it hits the ground running. But you, you hear Roger go "Magic Bus" because he wanted to use a uh, a live version of Magic Bus rather than the album version. It must be the live version because it builds in a certain way. He's a very particular director. Very, very particular indeed, which you wouldn't necessarily expect from, oh, this is a romantic comedy, this is a romantic drama kind of thing. 
this movie has quite the soundtrack. <laughs> Even in just the fact that there's a needle drop every 30 seconds or so. Um, I think like, it's it's weird that I, d- I rarely ever pick up on the fact there's needle drops. Like when I'm watching it, it just washes right. It's If it's done organically, I guess, because I picked it up at the Outsiders because the version I watched did not have good. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. I did music and sound design. But like in this one, for example, I didn't pick up on any of it. It just it was just like part of the the zeitgeist of the film and its time, I guess. That that is one of Cameron Crowe's like kind of uh, trademarks, I suppose, is is his use of music in film. I mean, obviously, almost famous is all about music, yeah. and there's so much music in that film. But his most probably his most famous sequence in all of his films is from Almost Famous, and it's when they sing "Tiny Dancer" on on the bus. Um, mm. Elizabeth Town. The entire third act of that movie revolves around um, a, a, a series of mixtapes that that one character makes for another for a road trip, and you get like thirty songs in the space of ten minutes or something. So uh, yeah, he uses music a lot. This film, this this made me laugh because this genuinely starts with a big picture of the world, Tom. Like yeah. the joke we made about Universal. <laughs> And then the big letters just yeah. go across the world. And they say, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> and you're right, you get that that like very fast voiceover talking about how America sets the tone for the world and focuses on like young athletes. And he's kind of ch- cocky, but kind of charming and assured. It's kind of a classic cruise sort of thing. He's introduced yeah. as a sports agent with his slicked back hair and his cocky, like, schmoozing athletes, saying things like, I'll kill for you, I'm an animal for you, and stuff like that. Um, It's kind of like, uh, it comes across like Patrick Bateman in American Psycho a little bit. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it sets him up as, he's the guy that you don't see. He works for Sports Management International, which is a big sports agency. He's the person that, you know, gets um, athletes all of their marketing deals and interviews and handles their career and handles their deals with sports teams as well. He handles 72 clients. And at that point, we get the first little clip of his mentor, Dickie Fox, who kind of gives like pop psychology in little cutaways throughout the movie, right? Which character is that again? Well, we... He's not really a character in the movie. Uh, oh, he's just sorry, a guy who yes. sat at the desk. Yes, sorry. When you were saying mentor, I was trying to think of somebody in the actual office. But yeah, yeah, that that guy. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. He's just ran. It's just interstitials in the film. Yeah, and and he and he kind of sums up each like chapter of the film with a little pithy remark or like like little bit of advice that he's got. It's a weird thing to put in your big mainstream romantic yeah. comedy, right? It's it reminded the, me of the, the sort of thing that, you, you know, like, actually, to be honest, the sort of thing that someone like Pat, Patrick Bateman would have, but, like, those sort of audiobooks of, like, be your best self. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although it seems a little bit more genuine than, than that. Like, Oh, I yeah, 100%. It's the sort of thing, sort of thing that thing I imagine Tom Cruise's character, or Jerry, uh, listening to to motivate himself for success. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he's very successful. Tom, yeah. he's he's the best. Tom Cruise is the best at something again. Oh my god! Um, but also, he's having second thoughts. Yeah, you know, we see him trying to spin a statutory rape charge. Um, 
he watches someone not sign a trading card because it's not the right brand of trading cards. And actually, he's yeah. not allowed to sign that kind of trading card because he hasn't signed a deal with that manufacturer. Um, and a hockey player gets injured, has his fourth concussion. He's in the hospital and he can like barely remember his name. But he remembers the name of his son and his wife. And his son stops Jerry Maguire in the hallway and kind of says, like, that's my dad. How do we get him to stop doing this and jerry is like hey kid you know he's unstoppable he's a tank you know he's doing all this while he's looking at his pager and he's like nothing's gonna stop your dad right right and the kid looks at him and he must be about eight or nine he looks at him and says fuck you and that triggers uh jerry Maguire to question what it is he's become and he has this huge existential crisis which he labels in the voiceover as a mixture of a breakthrough and a breakdown and he writes a mission statement he goes to a late night copy place to get 110 copies printed and bound with a front cover we get our second needle drop and it's another song by the who getting in tune and the thrust of the mission statement is that more focus should be put on the client and the people and for the love of the sport not the money. Fewer clients, less money, more attention to each individual client and what is best for them. He distributes it to everybody in his agency and immediately regrets it in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so a, good. It's a great, like, panicky, nervous performance, but he's trying to, like, keep it together. And he's like, he phones someone, right? And goes, like, the, the things, you know, did they go out? And you can hear the person go, yeah, yeah, they went out. And he's like, oh, great. <laughs> good, yeah. But mm. when he turns up to work, everybody applauds him. And people are like, finally. Somebody said it, and he's just stood there soaking in the applause. And but you can hear, you know, someone at the back going like, "Oh, you know, I give him a week before he's before yeah. he's fired." It's worth pointing out everything I've just said is over the opening credits. Yeah, it's constant voiceover. And yeah, stuff. it yeah, all it's... happens right off the bat. That kind of thing that you would usually see in the second act, once we've had a lot of time to get to know our character, and then they have an existential crisis. That happens in the first five minutes. And I, I think literally the point where he is standing in that room with everyone applauding him, that's when the, the name of the director comes up. It, it is, yes. that long. Yeah. But it's, it's that uh, quick, but they drag out the credits for that long as well. Yeah. It's, it's a, a, a very energetic um, sort, of, sort of start to the movie. And it kind not- of... It doesn't keep up that pace, but it does kind of keep up that energy, I think. Yeah. And do you know what I realised at this point? But, uh, Tom, Tom Cruise in this film, he's uh, he's playing someone who's thirty five, and but obviously he's, Adam, he's thirty two, right at this point. Well, yeah, but obviously we look very similar to Tom Cruise in this film. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah, okay. I mean, we can talk about this. I mean, uh, very handsome in this movie. No, this is peak handsome. Oh this my is peak god, Tom he Cruise looks handsome. incredible. He looks incredible. Literally, um, one of my notes is peak handsome Cruise. Yeah, oh, that's unbelievable. It. And it's... he spends so much of this movie just smiling as well. Um, big yeah. Tom Cruise smile. There's so there's so much Cruiseness in this movie. Like all of the bits that we like um, are in this movie, um, except for the stunt stuff, basically. But everything else that we've liked about Tom Cruise so far is in this movie to some regard. Um, yeah. He's on a plane 
on the way back from like the retreat where he had this breakdown. Um, he's in first class where he's drinking champagne and telling the story of his engagement to his fiance. But towards the back of the plane, in coach, as it's called in America, is Dorothy, played by Renny Zellweger, with her son, Ray. She's looking into first class, she's listening to this story, and she's just absolutely swooning. And then the curtains close. <laughs> like an air stewardess just closes the curtains, which is a pretty effective way to set up the division between these two characters. But it is also a sign that it's quite a broad movie, right? Yes. Yeah, it's it's not... Um, subtlety is not necessarily this film's uh, direction. Yes, nobody in real life would stare wistfully into first class and then say things like, first class is, is the problem because it used to mean a better meal and now it means a better life to their which six-year-old also doesn't, son. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, which also doesn't make any sense because... Well, the, well the only No, because the only reason you're in first class is because you've got a better life. Well, yeah, but that's not... It used to just mean a better meal. It used to just mean you'd paid a little bit extra and now it means you've paid four times the price. No, all right, fine. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Yeah, <laughs> but you get nice reclining seats now. You get your own little pod. Do you? you your, yeah, you get your meal brought out on a on actual plates with actual cutlery. Do you it's fly like first steak. class? I've flown business class a couple of times. So no, okay, great. <laughs> well, business class in, in BA at least it's not much different from, from, uh, from first class. <laughs> from what I'm told, because I know some you people who actually were in sound, first class. You sound about sixty years old. You sound like a Tory right now. I think you get um, pajamas. In first oh, class, really? which is ludicrous. Where do you change? In your pod. Oh, okay. Is it quite a private pod? It's basically, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. Tom, do we want to make this episode longer than it's already going to be? No, carry on. We've... Okay. <laughs> We're about five minutes into the movie. <laughs> I want to go in first class, Adam. <laughs> I know, we all do. We all do. Maybe Tom Cruise will, will fly us out in first class when we meet him. Yeah. Um. At the airport, Dorothy can't find her son, Ray, and Jerry steps in to help. She works in his office. Uh, he knows exactly who she is because he's a weird superhuman and knows, like, the pictures that he has in the... that, that she has hung up on her cubicle and stuff. Ray is on the conveyor belt for the baggage. He's so cute. Yeah. He's he's lovely. I love but this kid Adam, so much. Kid, kids are not allowed to ride on the luggage belt. That's true. They, they say that explicitly on the Tannoy system. Do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know what else I uh, like about uh, this bit is that um, Jerry Maguire calls him a curious gentleman, <laughs> which I, which I think suits him really well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dorothy explains to Jerry that she loved his memo. She found it very inspiring, and says, "In times like these, optimism like that is a revolutionary act." And Tom, that is the crux of the entire film. She has summed up the entire film in one line, and that is how the entire film, both in form and in function, operates from this point forward. The idea that optimism is a revolutionary act. She talks about optimism, faith, and honesty, while they are both like absentmindedly swinging Ray, right? <laughs> yeah. Like he, he's going, wee! Uh, Jerry is a little bit uncomfortable, but intrigued. Um, Dorothy's sister, Laurel, picks them up from the airport. And as 
Jerry is walking away. Dorothy looks and says to her son, whoever snagged him must be some classy babe. And you immediately (laughs) cut to a woman screaming in his face, don't ever stop fucking me, which is one of the best cuts in all of cinema. It's great. With a dog Um, watching them. With the dog watching them. And that's his fiancée. And she's awful, I think. Yeah. Like, but they kind of suit each other when when Jerry's in this mode of his life. Oh, yeah. They're the two most shallow people that are only with each other because of success. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. That shot where they're sitting naked at the table feeding each other strawberries is yeah. ludicrous. <laughs> and it all Don't happens you do that, so Adam? quickly. Yeah, I do that all the time, but just to myself and a mirror. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but you put, a, you, you put a cloak over the mirror to make sure I you did. can't see yourself. Yes, that's true. I don't know why the mirror's there. <laughs> Right. <laughs> this all happened so quickly because she talks about like I mean it sets her up as as um what is that weird thing? She says it directly to camera that is like if you ever wanted me to be with another woman I would for you. Um Yeah. Yeah, a very 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 odd scene, very interesting energy from her. Um and then we cut it's to like, his It's like it's like she's party. trying to sell it to him. Yeah, 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 exactly. And he's yeah. all like, no, I'm all right. You don't need, this is oversharing. There's some honesty levels that we can yeah, What does know, he say? Yeah, what have. does he say? Uh, yeah, like like something like uh, we don't need to tell each other absolutely everything or whatever yeah. it is that he says. Yeah. Um, and then we cut to his bachelor party. The fake surprise performance is so funny because he knows it's coming and then he like over eggs pretending to be surprised. There's like point people going, oh, you, you. Um, someone says to him, everybody loves you. It pisses me off. And that kind of sums up his, his character at this point. Um, at the bachelor party, they play a film that they've made of like a, a lot of his previous partners. Yeah. And it, Which is it starts... the most terrifying yeah, concept imaginable. Yeah. But I imagine they were all kind of like very casual. And it starts as fun with them like yeah. burning his little black book or whatever. But And then they all start to kind of say the same thing, which is he cannot be alone. He can't be alone. He's not able to be alone. Jerry Maguire cannot be alone. He's great at friendship and he's really bad at intimacy. And watching yeah. Tom Cruise's face go from that broad smile into that little introspective place where that has clearly hit a nerve i really love his performance in this he does he does such a good job i think um the next day at work marcy is waiting for him who is the wife of rod a football player represented by jerry she is not happy with the marketing deals that he is being given and then jerry's mentee bob sugar played by jane moore takes him to lunch where he fires him yeah. He fires Jerry Maguire. And again, that little period of realization is such a good, kind of subtle performance from Cruz, where again he's smiling and then he realizes what's happening. He's like, oh, you took me to a restaurant so I wouldn't make a scene. And then they race back to the office where they compete to phone all of Jerry's clients because he wants to take them with him. He falls over on the way. That's about as close as you get to a Tom Cruise stunt, right? Yeah, is that he falls on his fucking face and doesn't even put his arms out to stop him because he's in such a rush. Um, <laughs> and then watching 
well, the character Jerry Maguire, but Tom Cruise give that performance where he's talking to all of these athletes and he's trying to rapidly flip-flop between schmoozing charm and trying to sweet-talk them, but he's doing that in such an absolute panic. Is so It's, like, so much fun to watch. Like, this scene is so... Uh, so kinetic and fun. No, I, I genuinely up until this point, I'm having a great time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's such a fun time, and it's such a good cruise performance. And there's so many good lines in this bit, like that bit where he goes, "Let me make this easy for you. What does your heart tell you?" And then he <laughs> takes a long pause and then goes, "Well, I'm sorry to hear that." <laughs> <laughs> so and then he says, "Like I think because 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 Jay Moore's character." is also calling all these people. I think he tells one of them that, like, oh, do you think Jerry Maguire knows what it's like to be a black person in this day and age? And, and then when Tom Cruise, like, eventually gets to talk to that person, he says, well, he says that I don't know what it's like to be a black person. I'm Mr. Black People, which is yeah. a great line. And I don't understand why that isn't one of the iconic lines. From the movie. Well, I don't think it's probably, Adam, because I imagine a whole load of white people who went and saw this film wandering around going, I'm Mr. Black People, I, I, probably with land as well. It's great. It's such a funny line and he it delivers it line, so yeah. well um there's that athlete that pretends to cry and doesn't switch lines when she starts yeah. and then he talks to rod who has a long conversation with him and that's cuba gooding jr's character and his introduction is so good in this movie this whole thing on the phone he has a long conversation with him and makes jerry try to convince him that he should stay with him um while he has this long conversation, he can see all of his waiting calls getting fewer and fewer as Bob Sugar like yeah. snaps them up. And then there is the bit from Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Like, Rod has this mantra and he wants Jerry to repeat it. And the mantra is, show me the money. And it's like he's so... <laughs> the escalation of the scene is so good because he's so like hesitant he's like oh show yeah show, show show you the money show you the money it's like no it's not show you the money it's show me the money and he repeats it and he gets him to shout it and then he and then again do you remember in a few good men there's you can't handle the truth but then three minutes later there is i'm gonna rip the eyes i'm gonna rip your eyes out and piss into your dead skull right yeah yeah everyone quotes show me the money Forgetting that right after it, he shouts, I love black people, you're my motherfucker. <laughs> why, why is that not on t-shirts? <laughs> Adam, again, can you imagine us walking down the street with I love black people on our shirts? What's wrong I mean, with that? It's there's nothing wrong with it. I just feel like everyone else would assume there is people, something wrong with it. Yeah, people would assume it's ironic. Why have, you, you- why have you chosen to wear that shirt? You must not think it. But watching Tom Cruise go, like, basically full unhinged and just shout, like, I love black people! It's so funny. It's such a good bit of the movie. So as someone who has not seen this film before, Show Me the Money was not delivered in the way that I thought it would be. What what did you think it was? How did you think it was delivered? I thought it was Tom Cruise (laughs) shouting down the phone at someone like a client or something. Like, you know, like he was angry about it. Like, show show me me the money. money. Like, he's a gangster sort of thing. You know, like, show me the money. Where's my money? And to have him go like, show me the money. Yeah, he's so deranged. Truly deranged. Yeah. There's no charisma at all at that point. (laughs) Well, he's completely broken. He's completely broken at this point, right? I kept thinking they were going to cut to the rest of the office looking in through his window. (laughs) 
<laughs> just like, what the fuck is happening? They do, they do, they do do that one cut. Uh, they show Dorothy looking in at him, just shouting, "I love black people." Um, but because he, you know, shouted that mantra in the middle of a busy office, busy office, Rod stays with him, and he is the only one who did. He, Jerry Maguire, now has one client after having seventy-two. And then Jerry leaves. He does this big speech. Very funny bit where he's like, I know what you're all thinking. You think I'm going to flip out. And his body (laughs) moves in a way that I have never seen anyone's body move. (laughs) Um, He's so unhinged. It's unbelievable. (laughs) It's it's truly bizarre. Um, But it makes me laugh every time. Um, He's very bitter. He does this big speech saying that there's a better way of treating people and that he'll be starting a new company. And actually, he built this building and he's starting a new company and and, and he's taking the fish with him as well. And he awkwardly gets a net and scoops the fish out. It's absolutely demented and so awkward. And he offers that anybody else can come with him to start something real and inspiring. Nobody volunteers. There's silence apart from an actual one of these. (coughs) which is fantastic. Um, So then he turns to his secretary and goes, okay, come on, Wendy, let's go. But she's not going either. (laughs) She has to go like, oh, no, I'm like three months from my pay rise, so I'm not going to go. And then he just starts to like really slowly and sadly leave until our gal, Renée Zellweger, Dorothy, stands up and says, I will go with you. And they leave together. And it becomes quickly apparent that he has no plan because she's asking about like medical plans and stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't don't really know what I'm doing. Um, And then a hearing impaired couple enter the lift. They do some sign language. And then uh, Jerry Maguire says, oh, I wonder what he said. And Dorothy says, oh, well, I have a uh, my favorite aunt was hearing impaired. Uh, He said, you complete me. And it's just a little... I mean, I guess it's to show where Jerry is in his life at that moment, which is pretty low <laughs> um, yeah. compared to other people. But also it obviously sets up the big thing at the end. In yeah. Dorothy's house, there is a meeting of the Divorced Women's Club. And which, the movie... just looks terrible. It looks <laughs> terrible. I like it. I liked it. It's like I... I do... if, if there's a hell, Adam... <laughs> Right. I would be in the middle of that group. Oh, no, it's nice. All these women who have gone through a divorce coming together to support oh, one another. Yeah, I have no doubt. No, Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You wouldn't be invited. But, You're not a divorced woman. No, I'm not. Which is why it's my idea of a hell. Why? I, I think know. I'd like to hear their experiences. Anyway. Oh, it's the, too the much, has... It's too much. They're talking <laughs> over each other. It's like us right now. It's like that times 12. Well, this is what I love about it. That's what I love about that scene is that it's improvised and it's really loose. And he just lets the camera roll on these like genuine discussions. And there's a few improvised sections in the movie, which is another hallmark of Cameron Crowe. He will sometimes just set up big scenes like a party and everyone will go into like separate groups and improvise in character. And then he'll walk around with a camera and just sort of shoot little sections of it. I have no doubt that this Divorced Women's Club were just talking for an hour and he was just filming bits and pieces of it. I love that in movies. It's good. I'm not criticising its inclusion in the film. I, you know, it, no, no, no. But I, I understand why you would not want to be in that group in real life. Yeah, and but, I think it's just the cut to suddenly a lot of 
it's quite intense. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, 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 quite intensely complaining about marriages breaking down. It's just a bit like, oh, this this is intense. This is an intense and not very fun scenario. Cameron Crowe does that a lot in a lot of his movies, but especially in Jerry Maguire, where you'll suddenly go from like quite a quiet scene and you'll get cut straight into the middle of like a quite a chaotic scene. And then it, it takes you like a couple of seconds to go, oh, okay, we're in a different tone. We're in a different mood here. Yeah. Um, Laurel, who's Dor- Dorothy's sister, who lives with her, right? I think the household is the two sisters and uh, Dorothy's son. Um, you have to presume so. She's always there. Yeah. She, she is unhappy with Dorothy's impulsive decision to leave her job reminds her that she's a single mother and has given up the right to be um frivolous whereas on the other side of wherever in their fancy apartment jerry's fiance suggests going to cushman's house so cushman is an athlete and is kind of like a huge rising star he's the big promise um he's the one that everybody wants um, it's the first person that Jerry tried to call, but Bob Sugar got there first. And Jerry's fiance convinces Jerry to go to their house, saying, you're the king of the living room, master of the house call. You are not a loser. And then Jerry's like, well, who said anything about me being a loser? And she's like, no, no, no one. What, what do you mean? Come on. It's fine. Just <laughs> literally walks out of shot yeah. to get out of the situation. Like, no, I don't know. I just misspoke. <laughs> He, he he does go to Cushman's house. You can hear his heartbeat on the soundtrack until he takes a big breath and then it fades out and he walks into the, the, the bar room, I guess. And the dad says that he had told himself if Jerry turns up here that he would sign with him. And so Jerry's got Cushman, which he's very happy about. They hug. Now, you know, Cushman's dad says, oh, we don't do contracts, but that's because my word is stronger than oak. And there's that like that's the seriousness of that scene is then undercut with the big music celebration like you you know you cut to Jerry Maguire singing in the car but he doesn't know any of the songs is this the free falling bit yeah but before that he has to cycle like through four songs before he finds <laughs> yeah. one that he knows the words to yeah so like it's it kind of undercuts the celebratory nature of it and he's doing his huge tom cruise smile he's doing his big laugh he's just sat in a car Singing free falling and laughing to himself. At this, I should point out. At this point, I am still having a lot of fun with this film. Mm. It's a fun film. It's a fun film. It gets admittedly. I'm sure less... you can already. I'm sure you can already tell which parts I like and which parts I'm yeah, less I mean, I'm keen on. Probably you probably don't. You're not that keen on the romance plot. Yeah, it's the entire romance plot. But that's because you're dead inside. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I am Jerry Maguire. Without the sub, the romance subplot, yeah, I'm just yes, that's true. Yes, a hollow shark in a suit, <laughs> but without the suit, it's just I'm a just shark. hollow fish. <laughs> um, he's then in a car with Dorothy, who obviously now works uh, for him, and Ray, uh, and he is convincing Rod to come to the NFL draft while exchanging facts with Ray, um, and that is like. That was all improvised as well. Um, a lot of the interactions with between Tom Cruise and Jonathan Lipnicki, the six-year-old child, are improvised to kind of mm. benefit from that chemistry that they had together. Um, as they watch Jerry walk away into the airport, they see a family reuniting. They are really ramming at home that that is something that Dorothy wants in her life. Um, 
Would you like Jerry's... to know a random bit of trivia there, Adam? That I'd love really to. just reinforces that. Yeah. The 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 guy, uh, the hu- husband, wife, and kid are the stand-ins for the three main people. Yeah, as in Tom Cruise, Ray Zellweger, and the kid. Oh, that's, see, that's a clever bit of filmmaking, isn't it? I didn't even love pick that. up on it at the time, but that's yeah. They, so they even got people who actually look like the main set of people in that relationship. Love that. Love that. That's great. I'm going to give it another half star. Uh, <laughs> five and a half. Five and a half. <laughs> uh, in the airport, Jerry shakes Rod's hand, but then goes straight to Cushman. Cushman is mobbed with press at both the airport and the, the NFL draft that they're going to. And Jerry is schmoozing it up again, ignoring Rod, focusing on Cushman. But then finally, puts some work in, walking Rod through the lobby, introducing him to everyone. There's quite a frenetic montage of that. And then Rod starts complaining about the lack of deals afterwards before Jerry goes to Cushman in his hotel room to make a decision. A last-minute deal has come through, but not quite the one that they want. Um, The phone keeps ringing, and it's probably a journalist, and Cushman says he hates talking to journalists. So Jerry picks up impersonating Cushman, um to try and like just tell the journalist to go away but it's bob sugar yeah. who goddamn bob sugar who thinks that it is cushman and congratulates him on coming to him for a deal and another um, like fantastic performance from tom cruise of him having to maintain that smile whilst he hears the worst possible scenario and his whole life falls like falls away from his feet but he has to keep it together and to have to communicate that to an audience through a camera that's an incredibly skilled uh, piece of work Jerry tries to kind of nail them down but obviously can't he's so angry (laughs) he's so angry he's seething and he tries to make it right but they actually already signed with Bob Sugar and he knows that he is fucked basically And, it, and and they don't do, like, it's so awful as well, because he says, like, oh, yeah, we signed while you were in the lobby with the black fella. Yeah, there's a real, uh, there's some real heat put on that sentence, isn't there? Yeah. Not Very not doing Texans any favours with the, uh, yeah, well, the depiction yeah. in this at all. Yeah, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Hi, if you're listening from Texas. Your, your, your wife is from uh, Texas, right? Yeah. Interesting. Um. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know anyone who is remotely has that attitude from Texas, but it's just so typical. Well, apart from your wife, you, apart from my wife, obviously, yeah. no. That uh, <laughs> is so typical to see any representation of a Texan and just be like, "Oh well, you got you know." That is quite yeah. a stereotypical representation of a Texan, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, so this guy is yeah. going to play for the Dallas Cowboys, and obviously his dad's racist. Yeah, of course. Although I don't think they 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 ram that home too much. It's just a little flavour. It doesn't come up again or anything. You know. What no, I mean? no, no. It's just, but it, but then it's just that little sprinkling, isn't it? Of just like, oh, we saw you with him. Well, the and implication I think that, is that I think that that is what Cameron Crowe is so good at is that he just sprinkles in all these little things that make the world like more complex than a standard romantic comedy, romantic drama usually would. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You're unlikely to see a throwaway comment like that in some in like you know your very formulaic romantic comedies. Yeah. Um, Bridget Jones. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the holiday. Um. Jerry has an argument with his girlfriend about the fact that you know 
he's fucked up both of their lives. Um, she has no sympathy for him, and so he breaks up with her, which she seems surprised and briefly devastated uh, by. She says, she's got a really funny line, which is, I did the 23-hour climb to the top of El Capitan in 18 hours. I can make this work. Which is a really good line. Yeah. I love the script on this thing. And then she beats him up and calls him a loser. Yeah. And that's when you get Dickie Fox coming in, who says, roll with the punches, tomorrow's another day. It's such a weird thing <laughs> to include in a big mainstream romantic comedy. It sets it apart, like, on some level. Um, I loved I loved Cruz in the following scenes. Uh <laughs> Because it's oh, such a vibe. Because it's it's one of our most favourite things so far, which is Drunk Cruise. Yeah, Drunk Cruise now with sunglasses. He looks like the Cruise from Risky Business. Yeah. Yeah. And the Rod line, is again, I don't need my jacket because I'm cloaked with failure. I, I have that written down. He offers his jacket to Rod. He doesn't need it because he's cloaked in failure. That's so good. It is good. <laughs> They're drinking in the airport. He's feeling very sorry for himself. And again, incredibly loose, unhinged, angry, sad performance from Cruz. Uh, he, he does a bit of drunk skipping when he gets home. And then he calls, oh, yeah. he calls Dorothy and goes over. The sister is again disapproving because obviously Jerry Maguire's having a full-on fucking breakdown. Uh, but she answers the door to him and he is full mad. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Like the grin and the laughing. He keeps banging his head on the uh the lamp that is uh hanging down. So much unhinged laughing. He uh reveals that he broke up with Avery, um, and he takes off his sunglasses and he has a black eye from her, which is obviously a great surprise for Dorothy, who thought that, you know, he was happily engaged. Uh the sister is kind of listening in to to all of this happen, and of course now I think in Dorothy's mind, we're supposed to think Jerry is like a viable option, right? Yeah. Um, she's disapproving. The best, it's the best moment to sweep in and get someone is when they have just been uh, punched by their significant other yeah. and are now drunk. So here's the thing. Laurel, Dorothy's sister, is kind of helping her, but disapproving of the whole situation. And I genuinely think that she is the audience surrogate. And I think it would be a mistake to think that the film is genuinely saying, wouldn't it be a good idea for these characters to get together right now? Because yeah. I no. think everybody aware, is aware that it's not a good idea, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. The whole situation for both of them is just insane, and she shouldn't be going after Jerry, and Jerry is an absolute mess and shouldn't be seeking anything. And the sister is the only person throughout the entire film going like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, you yeah. know, the, the spoiler alert for later when, you know, when Jerry proposes, like, as an audience member, I'm going like, what the fuck are you doing, Jerry? <laughs> that's, an, yeah. that's an insane thing to do. And Laurel is of that sort of same opinion. Yeah, she's kind of just like, uh-huh, mm, yeah. <laughs> but from reading negative reviews on... um online of this of this movie because I want because I love this movie so much I want to see what people disliked about it a lot of people were saying like oh it's really stupid that uh these two characters got together and I think the movie is it's telling you that it's stupid that these two characters are getting together 
It's it's almost like an an anti sort of rom com. Jerry just can't be alone, and Dorothy wants Ray to have a father figure so bad that they're ignoring everything that is wrong with each other to just try and make it work. Right? Yeah. Her background is that she's like. She's 26, she had a bad marriage, but her husband died, and now she's a single mother to Ray. She actually has what I think is one of, you know, there's numerous lines in this movie where you're like, do you know what, that's very on the nose and very, very flowerly written and, you know, very verbose, but lines like this get me all the time, and I love them. She says, everyone out there is trying to either get a man or keep a man, and I'm trying to raise a man. And yeah. I can see why people would go, okay, that's a bit cheesy. But, Tom, I like it. <laughs> but it's okay to like it, Adam. I know. Did you, is that something about this film that you disliked? Those kind of, um, those lines? Neutral. Neutral. Neutral, I don't, okay. I don't mind a line like that in the right film. And I think this film, you know, it has met lots of lines like that. I mean, we've already discussed a whole load of lines that we both really liked. Yeah, uh, I don't think that's out of tone for this film. Um, yeah, that's it's true. Just, it's just it didn't resonate with me. It was just kind of like, mm, yep, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it's just no. that the film seems to make such a big deal of those lines being spoken, as though they are almost like in some way like quoting scripture or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, while Dorothy is getting drinks and food for them and stuff, Ray comes out of his bedroom and talks to Jerry, and it's lovely. And the whole, you know, when they're talking about the zoo. And the fucking zoo's closed and all that stuff. That, that, that stuff. That whole section, that's also improvised, which is genius. Because the worst thing about watching child performers is usually watching them try and recite lines that have been written by someone else, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. You can't really just get a kid. I mean, getting a kid of any age to remember anything is probably tricky right. enough as it is. So, let alone so- deliver it with emotion and you know authenticity. So it ends up being like a director saying the line and saying, right, repeat that. But here, Jonathan Lipnick is just being himself. He's not acting or delivering lines. He's just having a conversation with with Tom Cruise. And it really helps the movie, I think. I mean, I'm going to be honest. This is the point in the film where it started slowing down for me. Really? And it's this is, not this is often, thought- often uh, sort of like highlighted in the movie as one of the best scenes in it. And I think it probably is if that's the sort of movie you like. Yeah, that's true. Whereas, whereas for me, it was kind of going, oh, so we're going to kind of drop all the, the um, I'm just going to call it the, the Wolf of Wall Street style film, you know, this grasping at success, that sort of fast cut sort of style. And we're going to slow it right down and we're going to get personal with with the characters mm. uh, and it's and it's not a criticism of you know the the film inherently it's obviously the acting's great etc just loses it's just a change of pace and it starts losing its grip on my my attention oh that's interesting that's interesting i don't feel that um i feel like that very frenetic pace stopped about 10 minutes in because it, because a lot of the scenes from this point on are like are like much longer. I don't mean from this point. I mean I mean before as well. Yeah. Um, but, although but I, I suppose maybe... you know it's, it's hard to match the energy of like the scene where he's doing all the phone calls and stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I think the film is kind of 
it is split into two bits and i think like there's there's the romance side of things and then there's the you know the the sports agent side of things mm. and the sports agent part is the bit that i really liked right so and i think the pacing kind of matches the two different halves because obviously when you essentially the narrative the emotional narrative of the film is him and dorothy the i disagree which in what way i disagree that this um film is actually about um two people getting together and i i disagree that it's about sports um and i i i think that that they are i think you're right i think they are two quite separate bits of the movie they're, they're they're two separate sections of the movie that happen in parallel but i think they're two um sides of the same coin that both exist to teach jerry Maguire the same thing um yeah, which yeah, i think I, I, I think i think it builds up to better in, in 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 the later half of the movie i i completely agree i, I guess what i'm trying to say is that like most of the time for a, a good story which this has is that you're going to have the the um I guess an external narrative, i.e., Tom Cruise wants to be a really successful sports agent. Yeah, he wants to climb back to where he was, and then you've got the emotional narrative, which is which he might not realise throughout the entire film, which is that he wants what's really important is relationships and actually, you know, with a client or with you know a woman, etc. Um, and I think the film kind of has those two paths, and what the 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 external narrative is obviously the sports agent bit, and then. That's the bit that I like because I kind of not knowing how the relationships are going to go in terms of um, you know his success keeps my attention, but the romance side I don't really care about. It that never resonated with me. I think I think they're saying the same thing. Like I I I I don't think that the lesson ends up being like as 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 granular as like valuing. Um, relationships more than success i i think it ends up being like him struggling with the notion of well do i want to be successful or do i want to have integrity and i think that that comes from both aspects like when they do get married it's a disaster in the first two weeks so he has to ask himself do i want something that looks successful or do i want something that has actual integrity and weight to it you know, do I want to make money off of Rod Tidwell or do I want to do what is best for Rod Tidwell? And it's a success versus um, integrity thing. And I think that both storylines actually, like for me, do a pretty good job of um, putting that theme across. What I would say is if romantic dramas, which one half of that story most definitely is, if romantic dramas are not your thing, I could see why you wouldn't get on with that half of it. Yeah. I really, I, I respond to romantic comedies more than you would think someone like me does, I guess. Right, yeah. Um, Whereas you know that I actively avoid a lot of Right, exactly. Like but I think that the point of cinema is to watch attractive people kiss. <laughs> So well, that is certainly how it started. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> we gone go with the wind. 
Yeah, exactly. That was the first film. <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't allowed to have kisses before that. Was, right. Well, well, could people not kiss while it was code? Is that right? I can't remember. I can't remember yeah. all the code and the pre. Well, yeah, the train had to go into a tunnel, otherwise you didn't. And and then that's when you <laughs> yes, know they kiss. Euphemism. Yes. Well, it's yes. not kissing, Tom. What do you think kissing is, Tom? What? Okay, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let's move on. Let's move on. That's an interesting um, thing you brought up, though, about the dichotomy of kind of like the two sections of the movie. Because for me, they work perfectly um, in tandem. But I could see how it's kind of, it would come across as quite a um, almost schizophrenic kind of movie. Because it, it kind of does both at once and flip-flops back and forth. I But I think yeah. Cruz is really strong in this movie. And is putting in a lot of work to make sure that both both narratives have that kind of emotional truth running through them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's not about performance at all. Um, like Tom That's Cruise just, just really, about really preference, good. right? Yeah, it literally is. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think... Like, if this film was just a romantic comedy, if it had nothing of the sports side of things, I'd probably give it a two-star, just because I didn't care. Mate, you are you are a typical bloke, aren't you? Yeah, I like the Royal Fast and Furious. Bloody hell, stupid yeah. women's films and all that stuff. But I don't like many. I can't even think of any romantic comedies that I really like. There really? Must be a few. There must be a few, but none of them come to mind. Oh, actually, I really like Amelie. <laughs> well, but then that's I mean, mental. Yeah. yeah, that's that's that's. Um, I don't think that's too dissimilar to Jerry Maguire. You know. No, but it is also surrealist, isn't it? In a lot of ways, like it's very heightened. Oh, yeah. hyper real! Uh, it's 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 a fantasy film set in real life France. When's the last time you saw Emily? A couple of years back. I, I would have said it was at one point, probably when I was at like college. I would have said it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I watched it a few years back, and oh, I did not find it to hold up at all. Really? Yeah. I've only seen it. I've only seen it once, and I didn't watch it for a long time because I didn't think it would be my sort of thing because romantic comedy, uh, and then immediately jumped into my top something i found it to be very twee i have three posters on my wall film-based posters above my desk right now one is alien the other is the shining and one is amelie one of those does not fit with the others no <laughs> but and it's the shining it's yeah, the shining it's because the book. other two are green <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> look where the fuck did we get to Dorothy and uh, fucking Jerry are talking about the mission statement again, and she's saying that yeah. like she cares about the job, but mostly she just wants to be inspired. And he kisses her and feels her up, just as the taxi yeah. arrives, and it's very awkward because he yeah. shouldn't have done that. He immediately regrets it. It's very very awkward. Again, not something that's going to happen in your typical. Uh, romantic comedy. And is... No character knows how to react to it. Like you no, don't and... know when watching that scene whether Rene is going to be like, "You realise you assaulted me." <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he's you the first to say it. She... He's like, "I, yeah. I just assaulted you. I just harassed you." Uh, and she like has that quit where she's like, "Well, I might, I might not sue you," <laughs> which is which is yeah. funny. And but like, I, I love all of the emotionally complex things in this movie, and there are yeah, plenty of human. them. It's really human, and bits of it, for as as heightened as it is, it, some of it is quite realistic and complex and messy, and I I like that. And you don't, you're not given answers to it to it, to everything, you know. Some stuff is just 
flung out there in, in Cameron Crowe style. Um, J- Jerry leaves in a taxi, but he does say, he turns back to Dorothy and says, hey, I'm back, which, you know, yeah. we both liked from Colour of Money. Yeah, I did like that. <laughs> yeah, lovely. Yeah. He needs to renegotiate Rod's contract with Arizona, but the manager won't give Jerry what he's asking for, which is $10 million. He stands him up on the first meeting, has to talk to him on the phone. Jerry starts asking for it as a favour, which is one of the most pathetic things I've ever seen in my life. Imagine asking for a $10 million contract as a favour. And he says, I introduced you to your wife. We've spent Christmases together. It's deeply desperate. Um, the manager says that Rod, in general, has a bit of an attitude problem and also blames Jerry for increasing prices on him over years and years and years and said, now maybe it's your turn to kind of wait and, you know, suffer a little bit. He relays this to Rod while he's in the showers. Rod is upset that he's still only talking about the contract and not doing anything about it. And Rod introduces the notion of Quan. He wants <laughs> Quan which is kind of love and respect and money and like the whole package. And it's this word that he's made up. It's, it's Quan. And that also, Tom, like traveled way outside the movie. People use that now, yeah. which is crazy. Um, they have a big argument in which he tries to address the attitude problem to get back to the passion of the game. Again, this is the crux of the movie. Like optimism is a revolutionary act. Do you want to be successful or have integrity? How do you get back to being passionate about something that you're now just doing as a job? Cruz gets so angry in this scene. Yeah. In, in the shower rooms, it's such a... I can only assume you enjoyed this bit of his performance, right? Yeah, yeah. And then We're back course, to the bits I like. Yeah, and it's the help me help you bit where he's going, help me help you. <laughs> which which Rod finds very funny because he says he's hanging on by a very thin thread. And that is absolutely how I would describe Tom Cruise in this movie. He's yeah. like constantly hanging on by a very thin thread. And Tom, I feel like that all the time. Have you ever felt on like you're hang have you ever felt like you're hanging on by a very thin thread? I'm constantly feeling like I am hanging on a very thin yeah, thread. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, are you, you know, to 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 split us into groups, the four people that, you know, I'm part of a podcast with and I'm including myself, are you a, a me and a Steve? And if someone says that in a movie, you'll look at it and go, ah, oh, that's me, and feel that it reflects you in some way? Or, or Or are you a Lucas? Is it a Tom and Lucas thing that you're just like, oh, that's part of the movie, it's blocked off from my feelings? Oh, no, it's... I. I I sympathise and relate to characters all the time. How many times do you think I cried in this movie? Oh, I reckon you must have cried like four times. Oh, at least. At least. (laughs) Absolutely. I I don't cry during movies, though sometimes I do tear up. I will go that far. Oh, I wasn't sat Uh, there like sobbing, Tom. Well, I, I don't know. Going, could have been. Oh my god, he completes her. <laughs> I wasn't like. <laughs> well, I don't know, do I? You could have been. But I do get. Yeah, no, I get. I've I turned get, to my wife yeah. in the cinema, and she has been bawling her eyes out. So I don't. I can't judge for someone for. That's got to be a very emotionally healthy, right? I can't. I can't cry in a cinema. I can only do it at home. No. Yeah, I. I. Just, yeah. No. We must maintain our images as strong men, you know? Yeah. Because that's the images we have, Tom. 
very strong. Yeah, that's, that's what's what I project. <laughs> Emotionally yeah. stable yeah. men. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Help Jerry, me. Uh, Jerry returns to the office and receives from Dorothy the poor financial report. And he apologises to Dorothy for the other night. I mean, at least he apologises. You wouldn't see that yeah. in loads of movies. Um, they agree that nothing should happen between them. She says that right now he should be alone. And then they immediately agree to go to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> she is getting ready at her house. And it's like chaos with the divorced women's group again. And again, like that scene where they're doing the financial report is quite a gentle scene. And it cuts straight into the absolute yeah. chaos of the house. Um, uh, Jerry arrives. He's brought presents for Ray. He's chatting to the weird nanny character, which I'm not even yeah. going to focus on because it adds nothing to the story. But no, I don't understand why he's in that. Still, very like he he offers some nice, like funny moments, especially the jazz. Um, and then he's kind of like navigating with Laurel. Dorothy is all dressed up. Uh, there's a lot going on, and it all feels loose and natural. And I think Cameron Crowe has a really good knack of of doing that. Um, before he leaves, Ray asks Jerry for a hug and he kisses him on the cheek and Jerry's a, a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, it's one of the bits that makes me tear up. Um, one That is also the first instance of the Bruce Springsteen song from this movie. I think it's called Secret Garden, but it's used uh, twice. And here is one of them. Um, and it continues playing while Dorothy tells Laurel that that is, you know, that hug from Ray and the kiss on the cheek, it's the first time it's ever happened with another man. So she is now swooning. She is super in deep with Jerry Maguire, which Laurel and we as an audience understand. So whilst the film, like, whilst there's an understanding of that it's a bad idea, the film then kind of plays on that swooning romantic atmosphere with this very soft gentle really lovely bruce springsteen song and very softly lit shots of dorothy and jerry just smiling at each other in the moonlight uh just before they go on their date um it becomes a super romantic moment in the film um and much like if you like talking about the form of the film, I know we were talking about dual narratives. If you're looking at the form of the film, Jerry Maguire, the character, and Jerry Maguire, the film, both become more and more earnest as the film goes on. Yeah. I mean, this was a nice, this was a nice moment. Um, but again, I think I felt like the film slowed down. But again, that's because it's switching to a kind of the other half of the the genre, you, as it were. Do you take the titles of the Fast and Furious films very literally? And yeah, now you, you only want fast films. Yeah, I want really fast films. <laughs> no, no slowness in movies. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. I guess, I don't know. I, I think from the sounds of it, a lot of this film just emotionally resonated with you deeply. Whereas this, yeah. these parts of the film just washed over me. So I didn't get that no, sure. sort of thing. But there's also then like, there is then the intellectualization of those processes, which are like the mm. thing like as Jerry starts to leave behind the cynicism, 
that he started with in The Wolf of Wall Street. You know, Wolf of Wall Street, a deeply cynical film about yeah. deeply cynical characters. As Jerry leaves that cynicism behind, so does the film. The fact that it slows down kind of mirrors the way that Jerry's life slows down and the film becomes more gentle as Jerry's life becomes more gentle. And part of my scoring, the way that I feel about that happening is kind of irrelevant because I just think it's clever that it's doing that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, that is true and it is clever. But you know what film I also really like from start to finish? Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, it's the Wolf of Wall Street. Right, okay, good. Hey, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, he's a good actor, isn't he? Yeah, interesting. They have dinner, um, and they tell the the mariachi band that it's like a business meeting, but they do share like some sad stories a little. Him sitting on his own while the band play around him is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then when Jerry drops her at her house, they kiss and tentatively discuss him coming in. And it's a very slow quite sweet make-out scene with him accidentally breaking her dress and they laugh about it and it's so yearning there's that nice exchange where she's like i think you should not come in or do depending on how you feel and he says same to you and she says no i have to go in because i live here yeah that is a great line <laughs> and obviously he goes in there's that whole side bit again with the nanny who's super into jazz like I don't know what yeah. <laughs> I think it's again. just Cameron Crowe the music writer coming out right <laughs> right sure <laughs> <laughs> but I he do like him, the jazz bit yeah he gives him a tape of jazz and tells tells him to play it while they while they have sex which is a weird overstep for a nanny and he does and the jazz is ludicrous and they turn it off um, the next morning because he stayed the night. There is an awkward exchange between Laurel and Dorothy. Laurel wants, like, gossip, but is also worried that she's putting too much faith in Jerry and says that men are different when they're hanging on to the bottom rung. And uh, Dorothy is saying, well, you know, he's the one, and says that she loves him. She says that she loves him for the man he wants to be and the man that he almost is, which is a very quietly devastating thing to say about anybody. Yeah. Um, Imagine if one of our partners turned around and said, "Oh yeah, but I love I love them for, for the, who they almost are." Oh God, yeah, that would I'd be, be like, horrible. And the you know the fact that she says it is bad enough. Do you know what's even worse, Tom? He's standing directly outside the door. He's just he's right there. He can hear all yeah. of this. He's found out for the first time that she thinks that about him, and also that she's in love with him and thinks he might be the one. Um, I mean, it's it's a combination of being like deeply insulted, but also like terrified, like yeah. potential psycho level of just being like, oh Jesus Christ, we've had sex once and you love me and you think I'm shit. Like, what the fuck is going on? And you can see all of that in Tom Cruise's face. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, amazing um and then they, they continue to have this conversation until like ray walks into the hallway and goes hi jerry and then the whole <laughs> house goes silent and i've seen this four times i've seen it twice in the last two days and every time it happens i go <gasps> because it's genuinely one of the most fucking mortifying things that i can think of happening like yeah Imagine. Uh, he takes it pretty well, though. Takes it on the chin, doesn't he? He takes it to the... I mean, he does take it well. I think also... And maybe it's because I'm not looking at it in such, like, an analytical, you know, way of, like, theme and stuff, but I cannot buy that Tom Cruise... Well, 
Jerry Maguire at this point would just be all like, oh yeah, this is all fine. You know, like well, if someone confesses yeah. their love accidentally after one night, but also is like, you know, oh, he's the man he, he almost is, etc. It just seems like a lot all at once for then Tom Cruise, let alone Tom Cruise's character at this point, to be like, oh yeah, sure, that's fine. Yeah, it would, yeah I'll just hang around. Think about the situation that that character is in. Right? Like, not even just, like, emotionally. He works with that person. They have to spend time together or his business is fucked. And then emotionally, we know that Jerry Maguire cannot be alone. The alternative to him, Mm. you know, if, if he did turn around and go, this is moving a bit fast, shouldn't we pump the brakes a little bit? You know, that would mean that he would then be alone. And I don't think yeah. that he can he can do that. So he swallows it, takes it on the chin, and when he's offered coffee, goes, no, us bottom feeders prefer cereal, and then joins Ray for breakfast. Like, just completely swallows it, ignores that it's a problem, and that is ultimately the downfall of their relationship at one point, isn't it? Is that they both yeah. just choose to ignore that there's any problems with it. Um, They go to the office because Rod and Marcy are there and, the, you know... They're, they're in the office for, for the offer. The offer is very low. Marcy is very angry and very pregnant. Threatens to leave yes. Jerry, but Dorothy intervenes and tells them that he has integrity and that he's broke and he's working for them for free. Rod ultimately decides to become a free agent. And again, you know, people grabbing hold of their uh, their own destiny, even though it's a risk, and putting your trust in other people uh, is kind of the crux the crux of this movie. Um, this leads Dorothy to say that she will take the job that she had been offered in a different city. So to stop that from happening, Jerry looks for a payday, which is Rod doing that awful advert with the uh, with the camel, and he refuses to get yeah. on the camel. So Jerry pulls him from the advert because, you know, again, integrity over money, right? Like, yes, it's a payday, but he doesn't like that his his client is being treated in, in, in such a way. And he takes that opportunity to ask for advice on dating a single mother. Um, Rod says that they don't date, it's for love. And if Jerry isn't sure that he loves her, then they need to have that talk. And Jerry isn't sure that he loves her. And Tom, do they have that talk? No, they do not have that talk. Do they fuck? Like, just, these people are so broken. And I think you're right. I think it emotionally resonates me with me because I see myself as somewhat of a of a broken person and it's nice to see them on film. They're kind of like my friends. Um <laughs> we, we you know Adam, after you have s- friends. Yeah, but they're not good enough. None of them are Tom Cruise <laughs> and Jerry Maguire. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> We're not. Um after having that conversation where Rod tells him like you need to have that talk if you don't if you're not sure that you love her, we cut to Dorothy Packing, like they're putting everything in a moving truck. Ray is upset and tells Jerry to go ahead and go, and it's devastating, like <laughs> horrible. Um, Jerry says he's due to visit at the weekend. Dorothy says if it turns into next month or then just whenever, then Jerry should at least not make a joke of his life and that he's better than the Bob Sugars of this world. And confronted with the image of the woman that he is with but isn't sure that he loves, 
confronted with the image of her potentially leaving, even if it's just for a couple of days, he proposes to her. Yeah. He's like, we could save on rent and medical by getting married. And kind of proposes, but kind of... I mean, what was your take on the proposal? Do you think it was real? Yeah, I think it was. It's just Mm. kind of like... But it's just thrown out there. It's not like... It's not a big romantic gesture. No. It's just... um, He's saying, like, look, this is how I keep you in one place so that I'm not alone. But I think that Dorothy, her character, she she takes it as a big romantic gesture. She starts yeah. crying and is like, we're getting married. And the sister's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like she takes it as the, great. As, as the huge romantic gesture that she wishes that it was um, and, and, and it wasn't. And we cut straight to the wedding. So, I mean, you yeah. say it's slowing down, Tom, but this is moving at 100 miles an hour. Well, their relationship's moving at 100 miles per hour, yeah. Right, and the film is the film is uh, matching it, yeah. Um, the wedding's at her house, which is nice. And then they immediately watch the tape of the ceremony that evening, too. And there's that horrible shot, oh. isn't there? Yeah, it's, it's Tom Cruise just, like, pinching the bridge of his nose or equivalent and just, I, like, looking down. He's, like, waiting for her, like, before the ceremony, right? Yeah, he just looks he looks so tired and regretful, devastated and so nervous. It's I, I know. I think I've said it for every scene. It's such a good Tom Cruise performance. Like he's he's so good in this. Um, he's just really effectively playing that like fake happy, unsure energy. Somebody like out of their depth. When they're watching the tape, yeah. Rod sees it. Dorothy sees it. That shot. Everyone knows. Uh, And then we kind of transition into the most true sports section of the movie, right? Yeah. With, like, Rod playing games and complaining about what other players are are getting and what he's not getting and he's not getting enough attention. He and Jerry have, like, a big argument afterwards, like, after one of the games with Rod, like, putting pressure on Jerry and he calls him out for, for being there and not with his wife. And it's a really good scene. And I think Cruz and Gooding have, like, really great chemistry. And, you know, Jerry says he got married because she was loyal. And that's... Yeah. And that it... Very vaguely, he says, and it grew from there. <laughs> Um, and then Rod makes fun of him and Jerry retaliates by saying that Rod is not playing with his heart which doesn't inspire people and that's why he's not worth 10 million dollars and that goes into a montage of games and travelling Dorothy on her own back home and then they're both at dinner with Rod and Marcy who are very lovey and kissing each other and like Jerry like tentatively puts his arm round Dorothy and then Marcy is suddenly having her baby which triggers a conversation later that night in which Dorothy tells Jerry that she never knows what he's thinking and they aren't really communicating that well and he's a bit snappy with her and then Ray interrupts and Jerry immediately cheers up and lets uh, lets him watch TV with them and then a few days later Dorothy goes to Jerry and explains that it's her fault and that she took advantage of them. And he says that he's not a quitter. And she says she deserves more than someone who just sticks around and that his next road trip uh, will be a break for them. But really, it's a breakup. And she says that he and Ray will 
still be friends. This scene makes me cry, Tom. Is that is that surprising to you? No, that's not surprising. Um, <laughs> what did uh, you What did you think of this whole scene? This kind of breakup scene. I mean, yeah, I mean, it is effective, and Tom Cruise is great in it because he you can tell that like he's really torn. Like he knows that it doesn't work. Yeah, and he doesn't. He desperately doesn't want the relationship to end and it is difficult to tell whether he wants it doesn't want it to end because he just wants something yeah 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 or if there is something more there and he just really doesn't want it to end but he's perhaps like not able to really express it or prioritize it yet or whatever well he says like what what if it's true what if i'm good at friendship but bad at the intimacy um yeah. but she uh i i i think I think the reason that I think Rene Zellweger is really good in this movie is predicated on this one scene and particularly one line in it. Um, because she she's saying that she can't go through life with everything on the surface looking fine. And her line is that she would say, like, I've got this great guy and he loves my kid and he sure does like me a lot. Her performance of that line is very quietly devastating. Um and it's really good, and she does a really good job portraying someone who feels like very lost in the situation that they're in. And then, I think this is one of the cleverest bits of, of filmmaking in, in the film, the same Bruce Springsteen song starts playing. It's the second of two moments that it plays. And it played right at the beginning of them dating, them going on their first date when they were smiling at each other under the moonlight. And then it plays again here when they're breaking up. And the ability to do the same needle drop twice at completely different ends of the relationship and have it something, uh, have it mean something different each time. I think that's such a, a good, delicate understanding of making a movie. It's just so well done. Um, because here, the song is deeply sad. And when we heard it half an hour ago, it was swooning and yearning and romantic. The placement of that song was so effective that the song re-entered the charts as a result. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean... I mean, the, I have one little criticism of the scene. and Like I say, it is, it is emotionally evocative, though yeah. not, again, enough to get that swell of emotion that I would normally expect from uh, a scene like that. It's more, I think... There is a focus on, you know, like Dorothy apologizing to Jerry for like snaring him. Yeah. And and I know that yeah, she she obviously did. Well, actually she didn't. I mean, if if you go no, back she didn't. to the she film. Didn't. No, no, yeah. No, I I don't think the film is she, saying that she is. I think she's saying that she did. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just I kind don't of think feel we're like, supposed to believe that though, right? Well, I don't I I wasn't entirely sure because obviously at the beginning she she is you know trying to bring him a beer while he's drunk and just you know being punched by his ex fiance, and is all like oh it's, you know this isn't the right thing to be doing. It's kind of taking advantage potentially. And then later on, she even speaks to her sister and says, yeah, what? So what if I took advantage? You know, why can't I have the things like you know something nice for me and the son, etc. So I feel like there is a little implication that maybe she did snare him, but and from I'm, her, I don't think like sure. Nobody else yeah, in no the film says that. The film itself, I don't think, is saying that. No, it's no, just she's... kind of exploring that that's how she feels about her own actions. Sure, yeah. 
but I just, I just, it didn't ring particularly true to me. No, it it rings completely false, and I think it's supposed yeah. to ring completely false. The fact that she starts that that interaction, the breakup scene with her apology and saying that she took advantage, but then a few lines later is saying, "No, actually, I deserve more than someone. I deserve more than what you're giving me." I think yeah. she she starts by wanting to be magnanimous and ends up in a place where she's like, I cannot put up with this in my life. And I think you're watching the growth of the character in real time. But it's important for her to start by saying, I'm sorry I took advantage of you, because we need to watch her realise that that's not true. Yeah, but I feel like... that. I mean, yeah, agreed. But I feel like, for me personally, that reduced the emotional impact. Really, guess, that maybe. just like that that made it well up even more for me because you're watching her like learn something about herself as, as it's occurring to her, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the thing that gets me even more than than this scene is the next bit where where Jerry's saying goodbye to Ray while he's asleep, and he's just sat yes. next to his bed like crying. Yeah, that that was more effective. For me personally, but yeah. it also highlights, and, and this is a positive. It highlights the fact that I think his relationship, at that point at least, is based around the kid and not her. One hundred percent, yeah. And I and he knows that because one of the things he asks during the breakup thing is, "What about Ray? Like, yeah. am, am I like, still well, going to get to see Ray?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's not not the last time we'll see Tom Cruise sit next to a bed and cry. Little spoilers no. for one of the upcoming movies. <laughs> Just so you, just so you know, I've seen the memes and the gifs. Have you? Wait, what? From, from what? Of just of him sitting by a bed crying. Oh, is there memes and gifs? Okay, that's magnolia. Look gifts. forward to that. Definitely gifs. Um, and then it's the big game with Rod. Rod's glad to see him. Uh, Jerry offers a slightly resigned, like, "Well, you're you're all I've got," because at this point, that's true. Um, it's an important game. Arizona needs to win. The whole family is watching at home. Rod is taking a lot of hits during the game. And then Rod scores the winning touchdown, but is knocked unconscious as he does so. There's obviously a lot riding on this, because as a free agent, if he gets injured, he's left with nothing. And then Jerry would lose his entire company, entire lives and families, depending on him being okay, and he is not getting up. Nope. Now, this is a very effective scene as well, I think. First... You have Tom Cruise running. So. Sure. Yes. Big plus point. <laughs> big plus points. Uh, as he runs to like the side of the field to try and check that he's okay. But also the family freaking out at home, talking on the phone to Jerry. Um, Marcy saying that her whole life is this family and the family doesn't work without him. It's very tense. It's emotional. They say he could have broken his neck. I don't know. Were you, did, you, did you feel tense and, and emotional in this scene? Um, somewhat, yeah. I think it was a little bit, it bordered on hammy a little bit. Oh, yeah. Bit, yeah, and that didn't quite resonate with me. That's it what I mean. The, the film gets more earnest as it goes, doesn't it? And I could see, yeah. in that case, it might become more alienating as it goes. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit too much. Like, it, it went into... um the saccharine levels of imagine uh, Spielberg directing a Stephen King story. Oh, good lord! I mean, that yeah. nearly—you know—that did happen in Ready Player One. Kind of, he gets to do his yeah. whole shining bit, doesn't he? 
yeah it, it's just like it's so sickly sweet to the point where it's a little bit like all right you don't need to literally say the emotions of the characters in the film yeah like when, think... when the wife's on the phone literally describing the situation to tom cruise and back again to push the emotion you know like yeah. that, that that kind of detracts from the emotion for me I think if the whole movie had been like that, I would have the same issue. But yeah. I think there's enough of the humour and enough of the cynicism that leaks its way into the whole script that, that kind of I can put up with a little bit of the very sweet stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, sure. But he does I mean, come round. Good. I enjoyed it. He, he does come round, like, and he realises the situation and says to just let him enjoy the moment as he stands up and then starts break dancing. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Starts celebrating his win. Um, after the match, they're waiting for him to like come out of the dressing room. He's absolutely mobbed by the press, but he he's like, "Where's Jerry? Where's Jerry Maguire?" Jerry points at him and he's holding back tears, and they hug each other. And it's so nice, Tom. Did I cry at this bit? Of course you cried at this bit. Yeah, of course bit. I cried at this bit, Tom. Did you cry at this bit as well, Tom? No, but I but I did feel a little bit of emotion. Yeah, I mean, Cruz holding back his tears, you know? Yeah. Then his phone rings and he answers it with Dorothy. He's like so desperate for it to be Dorothy, but it's Marcy. And then he watches Rod talk to Marcy and ask about her and the baby and tell her how much he loves her and that he misses her. So Jerry leaves immediately for the airport. He gets back to Dorothy's house. He interrupts a divorced woman's group by saying, hello, I'm looking for my wife. And he talks about missing her and how their company had the best night ever, but it wasn't the same without her there to share it. He does a whole earnest speech in front of the entire group, including things like, we live in a cynical world and you complete me. And then she tells him to stop because she says, you had me at hello. Yeah. Those iconic lines. I know it was set up early in the movie, the You Complete Me, but You Complete Me and You Had Me at Hello, they're like back to back. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's crazy. It's like seconds between them. Like, okay, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. It's mad. It's entirely mad that those such iconic lines are so close to one another in the same movie. Um also, I they, they just, to, just to pinpoint the difference in how we viewed this film. Yeah. A couple of bullet points earlier. I've got Cruz runs home. They have to slow it down so you can actually see him. <laughs> That's the level I'm operating at okay. for this film. And I'm like, oh, I'm crying because the relationship with the kid is just so beautiful. Yeah. Different vibes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rod then goes on this prestigious TV show where they always make people cry, which was set up earlier in the movie. And that he's like, oh, you're not going to make me cry. But then his contract for $11 million is revealed to yeah. him on air. So, of course, he does cry and starts to thank his whole family, including Jerry Maguire. Then Jerry and Dorothy are walking with Ray, who throws a ball back to some other kids, and he has a fucking throw. And Jerry is like, whoa. You know, and, and Dorothy's like, no, we're not going to go there. And then we just kind of softly pull out from them walking away as a Bob Dylan song plays. And then we get our last little interstitial of Dickie Fox, who's probably been in the movie like 10 times at this point. I haven't done all of them. And he says, in life, to be honest, I failed as much as I succeeded. But I love my life and I wish you 
my kind of success. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the movie as a whole? I feel, I feel like we've covered a lot of our general thoughts just by kind of discussing our like what we like and didn't like about it as we went through. But do you have anything that you wanted to kind of sum up? Um, I think I've probably covered it. I mean, I think it is a good film. I think it's a very well-made film. It's a very well-acted film. Um, and yeah, obviously there's a lot of depth and a lot of thought went into every single part of it. I just don't like romantic comedies. Would you, would you say that this is, is a romantic comedy? I think at its heart it's a romantic comedy. But it's probably, I mean, I don't know, maybe this, I don't know if this speaks to your, um, how many romantic comedies you've seen. I've seen loads. This is not really, you know, we were talking last week about whether or not Mission Impossible is an action movie. Sure, yeah. We came to the conclusion that it's kind of a thriller with, with some action in it. Yeah. Having seen a lot of romantic comedies, I can tell you this isn't really a romantic comedy. There's yeah, there's something like, much deeper going on here, I think. The in Mission Impossible, the tendrils of an action movie are like snaking through the whole thing, even yeah. if it isn't itself an action movie. That's true. And I think I that's think happening same, and that's happening here, right? Yeah. Yeah, the tendrils of a romantic comedy are sneaking through all of it, and it's just that is framed by a sports movie yeah kind of i I don't consider this to be a sports movie either (laughs) i think it's kind of like a a loose tone piece that's (laughs) dressed up as a romantic comedy it's like avant-garde cinema but it also it's got like tom cruise in it (laughs) yeah i like i said i mean i think i've given it a six out of ten i'm still going to give it a six out of ten it's a high six you were you were arming iron weren't you we did talk briefly before the episode and you're like you didn't know if it was a six or a seven yeah yeah so it, i'm staying i'm sticking with a six but i think it's just that it doesn't this film didn't resonate with me because the core didn't resonate with me yeah so I, there's lots about it that I really like. And obviously even recounting some of the stuff in this film had me almost in hysterics. Like floppy right. crews. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. I love but, black people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, all of that is really good. And if the whole film was like that, even if it had the, you know, the big emotional sweeping, slightly over-the-top moments, I'd probably give it a four star, like four stars. Right, yeah. It is a bit but sickly I, in places, isn't it? But yeah, I, I don't think... And again, this isn't a criticism of performance. I, I don't think Renée Zellweger... I don't think her performance resonates with me generally. I think she's a bit whispery, and that kind of winds me up a bit. Hey, that's the Renée Zellweger experience. She's yeah, very whispery. I, I don't think... And again, not a criticism of her acting, but I don't think her vibe vibes with me. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. And so I wasn't immediately convinced by that relationship. I think the relationship, even though it's it makes for a better film, perhaps, by having the, the intricacies and the humanness of it all, it didn't sweep me up with big emotional moments in the way that, you know, Spielberg can knock a film out without trying, and it's probably going to be four stars, because it will get those big emotional wells, you know? You yeah. Get, like... You'll get it. The Bridge of Spies has it for fuck's sake. And it's just like, what even is that film? Does it? 
oh yeah at the end I'm pretty sure he comes back home with the wife and something and it's just like there's some emotional oh no th- at the end. Well, okay so I I this is it's a weird movie to love I love Bridge of Spies it's one of my right. favorite Spielberg movies it, you pick the one that does the anti well up thing <laughs> ah. because he um his whole like emotional arc throughout the movie is he just wants to, he's got a cold and he just wants to go home and go to bed yeah and he gets home he more or less ignores his wife who then goes yeah. to look for him and he's asleep fully clothed on the bed it's the but only I, time that Spielberg hasn't done like a big emotional ending. Sure, sure. But it's the fact, and I've only seen this once and it was in the cinema. So it was a long time ago. It was like seven mm. years ago. But I think it was the fact that like he did all this stuff and it doesn't, re- he doesn't really get credit for it. He just wants to go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That struck a chord with me. That's the that's the Spielberg emotional. I love that that struck a chord with you. Yeah, I love I love that the stuff that strikes a chord with me is these big existential questions that are in Jerry Maguire and two people finding love. And what strikes a chord with you is that guy got to go home. Yeah, (laughs) he didn't just get to go home. He he saved basically did save the world level stuff. No one even gives him any credit, and he just wants to go home. Is that That how you feel? Is that that that's how I feel every fucking day? (laughs) Just let me go to sleep. (laughs) No, but. I think that sort of thing does resonate with me. And I think uh, it's obviously it's, it's again, it's Spielberg. That's the fucking point, isn't it? Yes, like, absolutely. If there's one director who knows how to make you feel all emotional, he can just click it's his Spielberg. fingers. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Spielberg's an, an incredibly gifted filmmaker. He can just make you feel whatever he wants you to feel like, yeah. like, yeah. Jurassic Park's a terrifying movie and it picking apart what makes that movie scare you in the way that it does is 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 a fascinating uh, fascinating thing to do yeah. um so you're going three out of five what about cruiseness though well the other thing i will say in terms of the film rating before i move oh, on yeah. to cruiseness is that also we've touched on it a little bit but i still don't really feel as if jerry goes on that convincing a character journey and i know oh, that yeah. you're probably going to disagree to some extent about that because of the like you know the sincerity and you know like um yeah uh, yeah, I'm trying to, integrity and stuff, but he starts off successful in business. He spends the whole film trying to be successful again, and he ends up successful again, arguably more successful than he ever was. If you successful at- for different fi- financial reasons, I guess. I yeah. think I think it's a really weirdly structured movie, and I think yeah. that a lot of the stuff that happens in the first ten minutes, you could make a whole movie about. That's a whole movie yeah. right there. A lot of stuff that happens in the middle, you could make a whole movie about and end with them getting married. And all the stuff that happens after they get married, you could make a whole movie about. And I think that actually, there's a whole movie worth of stuff that that would happen after we left them. We kind of we kind of leave him at the beginning of the next chapter of his life, having made the yeah. decision to now operate without cynicism. We don't get to yeah. see him. Um, achieve any of those like things with that method it's just no, the movie no. is him learning to think like that i suppose yeah because the only moment of realization about his like flaws and like his moment of transformation as it were like that all comes during one single and in my opinion 
sort of narratively unconvincing monologue at the end you know like he turns up he says this thing and it's like oh problem solved and he doesn't sacrifice anything to achieve that more fulfilling life hmm you don't think he He sacrifices anything no because he goes from successful he immediately knows what he wants to do to have more integrity like that's you know like before the credits have stopped rolling (laughs) He knows what he wants to do. (laughs) Then he spends the whole time trying to be as successful as he was before and achieves it. But he also now has an actual proper relationship with a woman as opposed to one that's based on just we're both really successful and that's great. Yes, but I think all of the... I think the whole movie is him sacrificing things and having little bits of the old him taken away until we are presented with a new him we just don't get to see the new him in operation. Yeah. But I th- I see I see your point in terms of like yeah, like you said ch- slowly chipping away so that he becomes more he has more integrity, he has more sincerity, etc. But he doesn't like most of the time in this sort of story it would be like he wants to be really successful and then by the end he realizes that the actual real success is having a a you know, like proper relationships either with clients or your partner, but not, yeah. even if it means not having much money, that would be the normal journey you would get. And he doesn't sacrifice that. He ends up richer through having one client. I don't think he does. I mean, he gets 4% and that guy just got 11.2 million a year. So he gets like Yeah, but before, before he would have got X amount of percent from 72 clients. Sure, but I imagine they weren't necessarily doing as well. Like he's 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 yeah. At the end of the film, he's still rich. He's not nearly yeah. as rich as he was at the beginning of the film. Sure, I mean he'd still be making about four hundred k a year. It's nothing, Tom. In this day and age, well, nothing. Sure, it wasn't this day and age. It was thirty years ago. Yeah, it was nothing, Tom. Nothing. <laughs> it's like million. No, I, a year. I, I agree. Like, but yeah, he, he's he's not really sacrificing anything. He just gets something more by learning a lesson. But so it's a it, for me it it rings a little hollow as a transformation. Okay, and may, maybe if he hadn't sent the manifesto, maybe if he just got. I mean, I'm not saying that would make it a better film, but as a character journey, maybe if he'd just been a dickhead at the beginning, then fell from grace, the classic you know Tom Cruise plot arc. Sure, and then and then kept trying to be success, successful, and then at the end realized it was the fact he had one client that he could properly you know what's best for him and realizing that actually having a worthwhile relationship was a genuine relationship not just trying to you know yeah i think something i think i genuinely think that this is um maybe something that uh that 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 people might misunderstand about this movie is is that it's not like cameron crowe doesn't really make narrative films like he does there's there's you know there's a narrative to hang this film on but the, the it's more of an emotional narrative than it is a physical narrative right and i and and, and yeah. i completely take what you're saying like the physical narrative for you was lacking and i completely see why but i get i i respond very well to emotional narratives you know what i mean yeah um yeah and i and i don't think like, I think he sacrifices quite a lot, though. You know, he starts off with a with a fiance, uh, a huge apartment. Um, you know, like an insanely 
uh, well-paid job, all of these clients. And yes, he ends up rich, but he ends up living in Dorothy's kind of small house. Uh, like He ends up in a completely different place to where he was at the beginning. Yeah. So yes, he is still rich. He's just nowhere near as rich as he was, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> For the time being. Yeah, for the time being, and yeah, with his one massive client and the equivalent of a million dollars a year salary. The, the 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 implication is, of course, that he will then continue to get more clients, and they will become yeah. a bigger business, and he will become super successful. But the point is, he got back to that level of success by focusing on integrity and not money. Yeah, that, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's like, like I said, I've, I'm still giving it a six out of ten. I still think it's a good film. Mm. Like again, could be a seven. Ooh. But it didn't resonate with me enough, and I yeah, think that's these fair. are just some of the reasons. I just, I just don't think it had a, enough of a, even if it's, even if it's like broad as opposed to like the nuance that you're describing. I, it just didn't have that broad, I don't know, arc and and sat, sat, the satisfaction of an arc closed. I think for me, yeah, a lot of it resonate. is open, right? A, a lot yeah. of it is left open because it's because it's an avant-garde piece of cinema, Tom. It's, I still think five stars is mental, just to be clear. Why? It's just too high. It's too uh, high. There are I appreciate, I appreciate that you feel that way. Very well-respected film reviewers on Letterboxd who've given it film five stars. Uh, getting attention, aren't they? It got insanely good me. reviews when it was released. Yeah. No, I, 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 don't, I don't actually really disagree. I just, um, <laughs> I, just, I don't think it's five star worthy, but I, I, uh, I don't think it's bad either. Um, what about the cruisiness, though? Let's, yeah. let's let's focus on the man himself. So I was torn between a seven and an eight mm. uh, because he obviously doesn't do stunts, even in the even in the sense of what uh, we saw he does. He does fall over. He just fall over. Falls over, but that's I can fall over. Yeah, but can you make it look as good as Tom Cruise does? Obviously not. It's Tom Cruise. <laughs> I can't make anything look as good as Tom Cruise. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, the the intensity of the performance in terms of in, ter- in terms of you know like having to at some points being manic like in the shower mm. se- scenes and stuff like de- that desperation uh, the cockiness uh, and the genuinely like you know emotive moments like the final speech or when he's um, outside uh, uh, Rod's I guess the the changing room or whatever but when when he comes out and all the all the camera people and journalists are there yeah. Uh, like there's a lot of really really good acting, and his charisma level is at the absolute top. Yeah, it really uh, is. And and drunk sunglasses cruise. Drunk sunglasses cruise. The greatest of cruises. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll I think I'll give it an eight on the on the strength of the performance. Lovely. That's the same as uh, Mission yeah. Impossible, right? But yes, for two very different, different reasons. reasons. That thing I was yeah. saying at the beginning about like we get two versions of Tom Cruise in 1996, and then he picks which one to go forward with. And I'm yeah. sure you're very happy that he goes with the Mission Impossible one. I'd love to see I him am. do more stuff like Jerry Maguire. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I want to see 60-year-old Tom Cruise doing romantic comedies because... No, that's a good point. I mean, to be, to be fair, going by Top Gun Maverick, they probably would actually give him an age-appropriate partner. Uh, yeah. But I just don't think that's necessarily the vibe anyone's going for. <laughs> I don't days. think I would. I probably... Well, I mean, I would go see it because I have to. But uh, well, yeah. yeah, I don't know if I'd enjoy that. Um, no. What I like about this film is that it's a big mainstream hit, but it does have those like streaks of of weirdness 
like the the little intercuts with with Dickie Fox, and I like how loose it is. Like the plot in general, like we were just saying, the narrative plot stuff, the stuff you can look at it and go, "Oh, that's what the plot is." It's pretty light. You can sum it up in a yeah. couple of sentences, but the dialogue and the emotional connections of the movie are really dense. I think, and it is kind of a, a bit of a tone piece, like dressed up as a romantic comedy. I really like films like. Um, Licorice Pizza and Phantom Thread. It's weird that they're the same director, but it's because they're they're sat on the shelf uh, next to me. Um, I like films that are just content to kind of sit in a vibe and not necessarily have much of a plot, and you're just watching characters explore who they are, their place in the world. The Martin Scorsese of it all, right, Tom? Yeah. You know the 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 human can, the psychological connections between humans and all of that stuff, and in the yeah. pantheon of romantic comedies, you know this is not really the typical vapid kind. Um, yeah, the, the kind oh, yeah, of sure. formulaic by the numbers things you see. It's not like yeah. that. This deviates quite a bit, and I think it lands alongside, like you were saying, like you've, you're not sure if you've seen any, you know, loads of um, romantic comedies. Two of my favourites. If you're if you're gonna seek them out, and you you know, sure, it might, there might not be something you enjoy, but you can do some research, maybe or something. I don't know. Um, when Harry Met Sally, uh, and Sleepless in Seattle, I I, th- I think that Jerry Maguire lands kind of like alongside those things, and it also has central ideas that are not just watch these two people get together. It's about yeah. dropping cynicism and doing things with your whole heart. Uh, and that's how the movie feels to me too. It's earnest and it throws out a lot of existential questions beyond will they end up together. I don't think the film is as concerned with that question as it is just kind of pondering on navigating life with passion and integrity and taking risks in the search of something to be passionate about. I think that resonates with me on a personal level because I find it difficult to be passionate uh about a lot of things. Um, except but, Tom Cruise. Except Tom Cruise. <laughs> but also, like, that kind of open-hearted uh, emotionality reminds me of, like, classic movies from the 40s. Like, quite specifically, actually, like, It's a Wonderful Life. Have you seen It's a Wonderful Life? I can't remember if you have. No. I think there's a decent argument to be made that they're actually a similar structure. In It's a Wonderful Life, you're kind of watching this earnest person who believes in goodness constantly have their life get worse and worse as they pursue the goodness in it, only for it all to come back around and then back to him in the final moments. Jerry is at his absolute lowest 10 minutes before the end of this movie, and he starts pretty low. (laughs) and i i just find that very distinctive and the fact that the film talks about being earnest whilst also feeling very earnest is a great way of making the form kind of meet the function of the film and all of that kind of adds up into something that is way too idiosyncratic to be dismissed as i have seen people do as just another romantic comedy it's so clearly auteured by cameron crowe in a way that you know films like this so often kind of aren't. And that is a way to intellectualise Jerry Maguire. But <laughs> I think it's really funny 
Uh, and I think it's emotional, and I think it's dramatic, and I think it's really sweet. And most of all, it's really watchable, and it's entertaining. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, you didn't love Jerry Maguire, but I'm sure you'd have no issues if it was on. You wouldn't, like, find it offensive if it was on in the same way you would, like, losing it. You no. know what I mean? It's the no, first yeah. one that we've covered that I've watched twice, and it was an easy watch both times. Yeah. I um, genuinely, as I said earlier, I genuinely may watch it again and see how I feel the second time around. Yeah, maybe, maybe you know. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to rush to watch it again. No, 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 no. But no. So I say, if the opportunity comes in in like you know three, four months or something, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll watch it again. And I, th- I think that, um, hey, you know, now that you know what you're expecting, you might, you know, respond to it differently. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it is also, I think. I think we kind of agree on this. It's an all-time great Cruise performance. In fact, I think yes. like all of the performances in this movie are great. Iconic lines are written, but it's the performances that kind of make them iconic. If you fuck up the delivery on an iconically written line, they aren't going to seep into the pop culture. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Cruise, though, he is, like, at this point, taking all future context out of it, not known for doing big stunts. He's done some, but it's not like his thing. Every other thing that we have admired, liked, or enjoyed about Tom Cruise is in this movie. There's so much range here. He has to go from subtle to big, like between scenes. And it feels like he's summing up 15 years of his career. And it's, you know, it's it's interesting that we, you know, that, that thing, that fork thing we were telling about, we were talking about Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire, the next two movies in his no 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 do you know what the next three movies in his filmography are very interesting yeah because it's big action thriller mission impossible which we've just done and this and then it looks like he's going to make up his mind to go the way i would like him to because he does eyes wide shut with stanley kubrick magnolia by paul thomas anderson and then he reunites with cameron crowe for Vanilla Sky. Yeah. Three very interesting, n- very remarkably not Mission Impossible-like movies. Yeah, but then Mission Impossible 2 comes out and it all changes. Yes, it's interesting that, isn't it? So there's that little yeah. blip between two Mission Impossible movies where he does four slightly more interesting yeah. movies. And... We'll talk about those as they come up. I think that this film is like a summing up of his talents. And then after this, he does like, I can't remember Vanilla Sky, but I know that the next two are just the weirdest movies of his career. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so in, in some ways, expect. Yeah, in some ways, you can actually view this film as like a little bookend. Like, this is the end of this part of Tom Cruise's career now, and we're moving into a new phase. Yeah. Um, I'm... I'm giving it 5 out of 5. I'm giving The Crooners 10 out of 10. Um, I would recommend this movie to literally anybody who walks on the face of this earth. Uh, yeah. Would you recommend this? Yeah, I would. Yeah, it's an easy watch, isn't yeah. it? Like, at the very I, least, at the very least. I I think with three stars as well, three stars for me is is just like, that was a watchable film. That was a fun film. It, does, it yeah. just doesn't go beyond that for me. It didn't offend so, me. For- it was well lit yeah. and it wasn't racist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Six out of ten. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> now, it, like I said, it could be it could be a seven. It's right in the between. But oh, I did. Oh. I wouldn't give it as high as Mission Impossible, for example. I would put it on the same level as. But that was a seven. Oh, but it was a high seven. Yeah, I've got you. Never mind. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, Mission Impossible was a seven, and then Sun at the Firm low seven. Tom, should we get more granular with our scores? Should we start doing percentages? Oh, I really think we should. Oh, Jesus. Really think we should. <laughs> So this is like a sixty-four percent. If it was just one percent more, it could round up. Oh, to a you seven could round it to a seven. <laughs> but it didn't quite get it. <laughs> maybe, maybe on the next one. Maybe on the next one. Um, yeah. It was released to general acclaim and was a huge hit, like just enormous. Two hundred and seventy-three million dollars worldwide on a budget of fifty million. Um, wow. Remarkable that this film only cost ten million less than Mission Impossible, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say that's. Um, and they it's, didn't even blow up an aquarium. It's because on Mission Impossible, Cruiser was producing it and didn't take a fee for it. Um, right. But on this, he was paid twenty million dollars. So that's a big chunk of the budget. Forty percent. I know it's crazy. <laughs> that is mad. Um. It's because everyone else was brand new to film. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They didn't have to pay anybody else any money. Uh, It was the ninth highest grossing film of 1996, which means that Cruz had both of his films uh, released in that year in the top ten, with Mission Impossible at number three. It's the fourth highest grossing romantic comedy of all time. Um, The reviews kind of focus on the writing, saying how clever the script was, the surprising nature of how the story was kind of handled, uh, its distinctness in in the world of romantic comedies, and, of course, Tom Cruise's performance. He was nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars for this performance. Um, It's his second nomination for Best Actor. The film was also nominated for Best Film Editing and Best Screenplay. Cuba Gooding Jr. won... Best Supporting Mm. Actor for his role in this. Um, And Jerry Maguire was nominated for Best Picture. Does that surprise you? Um, I think Tom Cruise did a better performance than Cuba Gooden Jr. But also, I don't know who they were up against. That's true. Does it surprise you that Jerry Maguire was nominated for Best Picture? No, because all short, all sorts of shit does. <laughs> right, yeah, fair enough. It? it lost to the English patient, if you were wondering. Sure. Um, no, I mean that in a, a dismissive way. I mean, we obviously, you see stuff like Green Book and all that get nominated. Yeah, which, yeah, admittedly, absolutely. Green Book is a, is an emotive movie, but it's just a deeply problematic one yeah, deeply when you think about it too movie. much. Yeah, it really is. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I'm I'm not surprised. It, it is a, a good movie. It's much better than how I would feel probably about the average romantic comedy. Not yeah, that it necessarily sure. is one, but that's that's the vibe. And I think that's probably the market for a yeah. fair bit of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, uh, I, I think it's a good film. At, at the Golden Globes, it was nominated for Best Picture uh, and Cuba Gooding Jr. was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but neither of those won. Tom Cruise, however, did win his second Golden Globe for Best Actor. Um, for his performance yeah. in Jerry Maguire, subsequently returned, of course, as we've discussed on yes. this uh, podcast before. I mean, in terms of its lasting impact, it's definitely considered one of the huge Cruise films. 
Obviously, the numerous quotes made their way into pop culture on like an incredible scale. It's one of the only films to have two quotes in the AFI 100 movie quotes list, which is show me the money and you have me at hello. Um, the word Quan became common parlance. Uh, and d- weirdly, it seemed to influence actual change in the sports agent industry. Yeah. Um, the the sports agent industry genuinely like started to trend towards what Jerry Maguire was talking about in the movie, um, especially as people saw the movie and then started to become sports agents because of it. Um, right, which is which is slightly interesting. That's an interesting legacy for a yeah. film to have. It slightly changed the industry that the film was set in. Um, and this is a long episode, but I think that's kind of what we were expecting from talking about one of my favourite movies of all time, maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And we should go, really. We should leave people to their lives, you know, rather than listen to us talk about uh, Jerry Maguire. But before we wrap up, it's obviously time for our long-running game. Only one of us is allowed to have looked at the IMDb trivia page for each movie. This week it's Tom. He's going to present me with three pieces of trivia, but one of them is one that he's made up. I have to discern which one that is in Two crews and a lie. Right, so I owe you... (laughs) What is it, 320? Yeah. You owe me 320 quid. How would you feel about a double or nothing situation here? Hmm. It's a novel idea. So, if I get this right, we wipe the slate clean. Sure. But if I get it wrong, I owe you £640. Yeah. What do you say? What do you reckon? Well, yeah, I might as well. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I'm okay. good for it. Okay. I'm, well, I'm not good for it. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I, I can get this one. I can get this one this week. I'm usually sure, pretty good. Yeah. I'm not yeah. pretty good. But yeah, come on. Let's do it. Okay. Number one, Adam. Mm. Cuba Gooding Jr. was so comfortable during the shower scenes that he would remain fully undressed between takes, even when discussing the scenes with Tom Cruise, Cameron Crowe, and other members of the crew. (sighs) That doesn't seem like something he would do. That seems like it would be a a legal issue. Okay, all right, go on. Number two. Mm. The crew had to lower the lamp in Dorothy's house so that it hung low enough for Tom Cruise to accidentally hit his head on it. That's horrible, Tom. If you've you've made that up, Tom, I hope you're proud of yourself. Right. Fine. Number three. Number three. The part of Dorothy was originally written for Winona Ryder. But following screen tests, they decided she looked too much like Tom Cruise's sister. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's two there that are very funny. Uh, which I think, I mean... Uh, second one, that's a lie. Do you think that they did not lower the lamp in Dorothy's house? Adam, I can confirm that they did lower the lamp in Dorothy's house. No! 
Cuba Gooding Jr., as far as I'm aware, was covered up at appropriately in between takes. Oh, God. They actually lowered yeah. the lamp so that he'd... Bro- oh, okay, fine. They, yeah, they actually lowered it, yeah. What's that? 640 quid? I haven't got it. I haven't got that. I've not got it. Do you want a bank transfer or check? I can write you a check if you want. Yeah. It'll bounce. <laughs> well, that's, you know, how we play two crews and a lie. <laughs> Oh, it's so Tom, sad. Tom, what a journey! I've really enjoyed these um, these nineteen ninety six ones. To uh, to you know, yeah. peek, peek behind the curtain, uh, we've recorded Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire on the same night, which is why we might sound a bit insane at the moment because we yeah. we started due to technical difficulties, we couldn't record for a little bit, but we started at seven p.m. and it's now one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's only been six hours. That's insane. To cover two of the biggest films in Tom Cruise's career <laughs> during a technical, every technical issue imaginable. The internet went, my laptop almost exploded. I got pissed off with it all and stormed out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, still, thank you listeners for joining us on this like weird little odyssey that we've done uh, tonight. Come and let us know what you think of Jerry Maguire. Um, you can do that by joining us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Cruise Views Pod. You can email us some longer thoughts and we'll read them out on the podcast if you'd like us to. Cruiseviewspodcast at gmail.com. Come and find Adam Glasspool and Tom Ashford on uh, on Letterboxd. We'd love to, you know, love you to join us. You get some little sneak previews of the reviews we do of Tom Cruise movies and stuff. Um, but until then, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to watch Eyes Wide Shut before next week's episode. This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. <laughs>